This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Are you the type of person who loves to treat yourself? You know, sometimes you just want to buy yourself a coffee, a fancy coffee. Sometimes you want to get a little extra legroom on the plane. You know what I mean? So if you ever treat yourself to the top options, other places like that, then why are we settling when we're finding a doctor? I know it's easy to fall into that rut, but your health is so important. Enter ZocDoc. ZocDoc is a place where you can find and book tens of thousands of top tier doctors, all with verified patient reviews. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. There's no more waiting awkwardly on hold with a receptionist. You know we hate that. And these doctors all have verified reviews from actual real patients. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, which is so helpful. You can see who's located near you and who's available and who can treat basically any condition you're searching for. Plus, a typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is between just 24 to 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. When I moved to LA years ago, I discovered ZocDoc because I was so tired of having to call all these different offices and wait. It took hours sometimes to figure out which doctor in town could help me and which one took my insurance, but not anymore with ZocDoc. I was able to find everything from a psychiatrist to a GI doctor, and I did that all through ZocDoc. And the app has only gotten better over time. I still use it. I still love it. I always recommend it to people, whether you have phone anxiety like me or not. It couldn't get easier to find a doctor with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com slash drink and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash drink. ZocDoc.com slash drink. Everyone, welcome to the finale of Christine's maternity leave tour, where we have one last awesome guest, and we thought that we should uh, end it with arguably the closest person to Christine besides me and also a new baby. Um, this is the other 50% of Leona's blood, the good half, as I like to say. And welcome, um, Mr. Schiefer, Blaze Lampagnelli. <laughs> hey, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for I'm taking like- the role on. Oh, no worries. I mean, I'm nervous. I wore a dark shirt to hide pit stains. Um, oh, you are the got, same. We've got drinks ready to go. What are Glass. you drinking, Blaze? This, I went and it, this is a New Riff bourbon. So New Riff Distillery is, I think it's in Bellevue, which is the town next to it. But this is a very close, we're in Kentucky. So bourbon, bourbon, bourbon. Oh, you know trust that? me. We know we're in Kentucky. Everyone still gets mad that Christine triangulates <laughs> where you live. I don't know if you realize how close you are to having a million people oh, in your doorstep every day. That's true. I mean, that place has delivered to our house on the first day we moved here. So um, they've already right. they, we've already been found out. They're I'll, in the know. Yep, for sure. So, but no. So I did bourbon on purpose, though, because beer I drink too fast. And then so, but so this should go slow. I'm not a native Kentuckian, so I'll probably shake a little bit as I drink it. But and there's ice, you know, get at me, whatever. But uh, uh, the glass is uh, uh, 
thanks to Lisa. It says Dad established 2021. So shout out to Great Aunt Lisa on that one. Yeah. Uh, do you know? So we we did an Instagram live with Lisa mm-hmm. yesterday. Although people will it will be months from now when people hear this. But uh, <laughs> so many people commented on the. I guess someone took a screenshot of when you and Leona were in the frame with Lisa. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Even I realized how much you look like Lisa. I think it might just be the really thick framed glasses. Oh, oh, I mean, you know, she's my dad's sister. So it's, you know, I think I do think that there's some similarities there. Some of my other brothers definitely look even more like her. So uh, you know, I guess they'll get me. more money in the will than I will. But <laughs> I don't think so. She seems to have a very uh, specific love for you and now Christine. I think the baby is going to steal your thunder there. That's do OK. You, do you have an update on the baby? Because this will be the last time we don't, as a as an audience, hear about Christine talking about the baby all the time. So this is the last time to give us honest feedback. How I mean, are you feeling? She, she's a baby. Um, I think she behaves good. She's like the first one, so I don't have a you know a comparator. But um, you know, she sleeps, poops, pees, eats. She's been smiling more. Uh, she's apparently laughed multiple times today. Always when I'm out of the room, she saves this all. <laughs> She's for like mom. that fucking guy. He'll never know. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, are you overwhelmed? Yeah. I have no idea what parent life is like. Are you as tired as they say you are? I mean, Christine is so hard because Christine will just take all the hits. Like I'll be like, okay, wake me up and I'll do something at night, and she goes, okay, and then I'll sleep for eight hours, and she's like, I didn't sleep, and I'm like, what the. <laughs> I I can't I'm not I can't feed the baby, though, but we're getting there. She's taking bottles now and like was like an all star at that. So soon, hopefully I could get in on the action and be sleep deprived myself. So um, but no, we're enjoying it. We are uh, we're behind on photos. I know Funko M is is mad at that, but I sent you one yesterday, I think. Did you? I It might have been during the live. If not, I'll send it later. It's Geo sitting on both of us at the same time, me and Leona. It's uh I did not I did not see that. Pretty good. Maybe it'll make it onto the Instagram. (laughs) Well, I don't get to complain because I don't have a baby, but I find ways to sleep deprive myself, in which case people will tell me all the time, Oh, I texted you and I'm like, I actively ignored it i guess so i don't i didn't <laughs> i see it like three days later and then people think i'm not getting to them so i will go check my uh page later and then scream about it no worries it's, that's that's what babies are for they're they're big excuses that's all they are <laughs> i i like to think from across the country all of a sudden i've got an excuse from like oh this baby just taking over my life mm-hmm. uh all right well i uh do you have a reason you drink by the way uh, and that's what uh, drink. baby I don't, um Perfect. not like okay. bad i mean everything i mean i do go back to work on monday so oh really that's yeah but i work from home now so i sh- not gonna go out and complain too much um so uh but yeah that'll be you know different um so i'll just get those last days of drinking in now you'll get to see it firsthand here <laughs> look that's all i've wanted we haven't seen drinking on the show in quite a while oh there's the picture <laughs> i just saw your picture come in oh hang on oh. now i gotta take a little look oh just oh oh it's my yeah. two favorite things both in your lap so sweet little babies and geos. i know it was they they came in hot there geo has i guess that's the maybe if people haven't heard by the it's not my baby or christine's baby that's geo's baby um <laughs> 
he is taken to her smittenly from the moment she came home. Um, we were a little nervous. He didn't like cats at first. He oh, he tried and, to actually kill your cats. Yeah, <laughs> pretty bad. Yep. Can't deny it. But the baby was completely different. He is like, we we've taught him to lick only her feet to keep germs out Ooh. of her face and hands. But uh, and uh, he will <laughs> if she's crying and Christine's not in the room, he runs to Christine first. And like lassies her, like just like tells her that there's something wrong and drags her to the other room. So, no, and Gio is, if for everyone concerned about Gio, he's very happy. Oh, I'm so glad he still has untapped potential. We have yet to, to know. It's still coming out every now and then. Exactly. Explore new possibilities, pleasure zones, and find your vibe at funlove.com. Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. There was everything, I'm telling you, from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online, and your plants are shipped directly to your door in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. I am so thrilled that we are working with Fast Growing Trees. I spent about an hour and a half on the website trying to decide what I would love to order from their products. They have so many options and you can actually filter it by zones, by growing zones to make sure you know it'll work in your garden. Um, they have everything from massive privacy shrubs and trees to very, very specific flowers. I actually ended up ordering a lilac shrub for my garden. I recently discovered how much I love the smell of lilac and so I thought, you know what? Perfect chance. Why don't I get some lilac growing in my yard? I think it's going to smell beautiful. And I also got my mom a little lavender plant as an Easter present. Right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code DRINK at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using the code DRINK at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com, code DRINK. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Um, okay, I have a story for you, and Ooh. I tried to make it. <laughs> I tr I tried, please. At first, I was like, "Oh, hospitals. Let's do a haunted hospital." And then I went, "No, no, no, no." <laughs> and then I'm gonna look like a real asshole if I got this wrong. You are from Connecticut, right? Yeah, go goats. Okay, perfect. I <laughs> I didn't know if like if you were just a like a yard goat fan. And well, I mean, how could you not be? But uh, I actually lined up more minor league baseball hats to change into as we go here to prove my Connecticutism. 
Um, oh, perfect. Okay, well, as someone who, like, <laughs> the only thing I think you and I could probably have a conversation about is minor league baseball, cause, only because I got into it because of the, the mascots. The Fredericksburg Nats, yeah. I know. Well, uh, we had the least <laughs> the, the least interesting name, but uh, you you have the yard goats, which I'm very excited for. So uh, I, I, I did a Connecticut story. Um, Uh-oh. Are you actually from Hartford? I don't actually know where in Connecticut you are. I was born in Hartford. Uh, we did not grow up in Hartford, but it's the closest city to where we grew up. Uh, grew up in Marlboro, Connecticut. Super small town. Um, and then, but yeah, all every one of my siblings was born at St. Francis Hospital in Hartford, Connecticut. So, wow. um, shout out. Really triangulating <laughs> your uh, the first moment of your life there. I know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, go guess my social security number if it hasn't been stolen already. Do you, is Hartford or Marlboro anywhere near Woodbury? I don't know about the. I mean, the nice thing about Connecticut is nothing is more than two hours apart from each other. So okay. uh, I, I do know where Woodbury is. Okay. Do you know what what? I I know ghosts aren't your like thing, but do you happen to know what building I'm about to talk about? I mean, I know, isn't it? No, Amnesty Phil Horrors in Long Island. I just re listened to that episode. There's the haunting in Connecticut house. Um, that was mm, what I thought about doing, but I think I've already covered it. So, yes, yeah. Oh, well. Um, you know, ghost wise, no. I know Christine wanted me to cover the melon heads, but <laughs> what well, the hell is that? <laughs> I'll give you that's for future. I don't know what the melon heads are. I didn't hear about them growing up. My dad apparently scared the pants off of her telling a story about the melon heads. They're on Wikipedia. Weird. Um, it, but also, uh, like, it's weird that this has happened. I have only been awake for like, I don't know, three hours, but that's the second time I've heard the Melonhead reference and it's kind of freaking me out. The, like, really? What are, I mean, well, when I, I think of Melonheads, I don't know. Did you play the backyard sports games at all? The computer CD games? Like there was backyard baseball was the OG. I know, I know what you're talking about, but I never played it. Okay. Well, the Melonheads was a, a name choice you could have. So a lot of mighty oh. Melonheads out there. Pablo Sanchez fans everywhere, you know. <laughs> get at me uh, uh no i was on an i was on an actual little league team and we were called the grapes that's the closest fruit oh. sport thing i can give you but no <laughs> I, it was it's just weird that you said melonhead because i was i had just it, a completely different reference but mm -hmm. i very weird so maybe you should have done it boys i don't know uh maybe oh well you well have my... it. you're the paranormal <laughs> Okay. Actually, I needed a story for when Christine gets back, so I'm going to do that then. Uh, All right. And now everyone knows one of the stories. But, uh, okay, Woodbury, Connecticut. This is apparently Connecticut's oldest inn, oldest oh. continuously working inn, and is called the Curtis Inn or the Curtis House Inn. Um, and I guess since its time, I think only a few years ago, it changed hands, and it's been the Curtis Inn since 19... Or no, since 1754. Um, so it has been renamed the 1754 house, in case anyone's uh, wondering if they're driving past it. Lots of old shit in Connecticut. <laughs> Which is why its motto is <laughs> every modern comfort, but every ancient charm. Hmm. Look at that. <laughs> I, I, I would like to think wherever I live one day comes with a motto, but I... I'm kind of scared of what that motto would be. I'd be like, don't come in here. That would be the motto. <laughs> um, okay. So it has always been an inn or a public house since 1754. It's been given the title Connecticut's oldest inn. And it was originally built in uh, 
the mid 1730s there's a sign on it that apparently says built in 1736 so i feel like that should be the clear number but yeah. i saw a bunch of sources online that said 1734 or 35 so apparently that sign isn't good enough for other people so now it makes me <laughs> paranoid that that's not the number so the 1730s and it was built by reverend anthony stoddard for his son elkin which we'll just move on quickly from that <laughs> that's and a name it's certainly if you told me if you brought me little baby loon and you're like this is elkin i'd be like <laughs> i'd be like no it's not it was originally built for elkin as a house mm -hmm. um and then i guess very quickly they were like no no no, we're gonna turn this into an inn so elkin ended up giving it to his grandson also named anthony stoddard mm. and he turned it into i think it's called the ornog inn um and ever since then it has uh, been that type of business so mm -hmm. on the first floor there are guest rooms and on the second floor originally was the ballroom where they held event space um which is interesting you would i would think it's reversed where the ballroom would be on the I bottom mean, real hard to sleep with the ballroom right <laughs> above you hey i mean I is that what happens above you is <laughs> yeah. that a ballroom is that the you have you just haven't seen the inside of their apartment <laughs> it's actually um burbank's oldest running in and oh. there's just an event space above me but of the course, all the, the burn all the visitors all, <laughs> all the visitors are roaches by the way so <laughs> um just tip tapping all night that's supernatural they'll never die <laughs> Actually, they are the closest thing to between realms in my mind. Yeah, <laughs> Makes sense to me. <laughs> so in 1754 uh, was when it got renamed officially to the Curtis House Inn. Uh, and then weirdly, I don't know. So there's two different backstories to this. And I think I know which one you and I both believe more. But oh, all right. In 1754, it was renamed the Curtis House. And then after 1754, for the next 200 years, very oddly, like five different families, all with the last name Curtis, lived in this house. And none of them were related. They just It just happened to be a house full of people with the last name Curtis. The other background story is that it was named the Curtis House in later after so many Curtis families had lived there, which I think we can both agree is probably more likely. Yeah, I mean, of course, right. I mean, so Jamie Lee was there, too, right, right, know, like right. during <laughs> filming of Halloween. In that case, why didn't they just name it the Jamie Lee house, you know? Yeah, I mean, that is that is like cash money right there. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's L.A., so there's cockroaches, but I guess. Well, no, they're all here. They're actually all over here. <laughs> they're, all, they're all left. <laughs> uh, so anyway, they're, it's just weird that you mentioned that because I just found that out and I was like, oh, my God, that's now the house is like doubly cool. Wow. So. Anyway, the Curtis House probably was named the Curtis House after so many Curtis families lived there, not the mm -hmm. other way around. Gotcha. Um, and renovations and additions are, it seems like they're pretty constant, including the first renovation, which was the second floor uh, becoming more guest space versus event space. And then in the year 1900, the town was very excited because the trolleys were coming to town and they were going to bring in a lot more tourists. And uh, that was when the owner named Levi Curtis, uh, he funded renovations for a whole third floor. So that way there could be even more guest rooms for the people being brought in by the trolley service. And so he spent $400 at the time. Do you want to guess how much that is today? What year is that? Like, so 1900, 1900, 1200 bucks. 
12,000 bucks. Oh, just a, you know, <laughs> a few decimal points. <laughs> but uh, it, I, I was shocked. I actually thought it would be a completely different number. And then I, I double checked on West Egg. I don't know if anyone else uses that as their regular to go inflation calculator, but <laughs> I recommend it. Um, and so now the, so after those renovations and now there's three floors of rooms, there are mm. still only 14 rooms on the second and third floors of the main house. And then in the carriage house, there's four more. So there's 18 rooms. I don't know if it's changed since, but it feels like pretty recently <laughs> there are only eight of those rooms that were priced higher. Um, like their amenities were like air conditioning and a bathroom. And I was, I was, it, it sounds like a nightmare to me um, as someone who prioritizes, prioritizes toilets and air conditioning over everything. Um, it was very weird that only eight of the 14 offered that. So uh, I hope it's changed. Yeah. Communal bathrooms, you know, dorm life. I had. So the only time I've ever enjoyed a communal bathroom was uh, I did. I was one of the last people to do an overnight stay at the Lizzie Borden house before oh, it changed okay. hands. And that was a communal bathroom situation. But I was kind of glad to have it because it really feels so creepy in that house that it was nice to pass people on my way. Like, I'm good. Are you good? Um, <laughs> and you saw all these same people the next day. It's not like, the like, oh, who did you see that guy in the top hat? Yeah. It, oh, my God. <laughs> Can you imagine if the person I passed every time was just a one black shadow waving <laughs> back at me? Um, he I uh, it was. I guess it was still a bed and breakfast, so people were staying the night, but a lot of people stay the night with the intention of staying up and investigating. Mm -hmm. But you have to, it was also a real, really weird situation because you could knock on people's doors in the middle of the night and be like, Can I investigate in here? And they could be like, No, I'm sleeping. Or come on in, we're doing a seance. It was a very weird oh, that's, juxtaposition. Yeah, that's weird. I mean, you know, Airbnbs are already so weird. Whenever I do Airbnb, I always get the entire house. Mm -hmm. I just, I'm too scared of the fact that, like, we're going into someone's space who could just have a key. Like, what, how do I know me locking the door is yeah. enough? And so I always get the, the entire space. And then that freaks me out, too, because I'm like, if I hear one goddamn sound, like, I can't <laughs> I, I can't give it to anyone. That's just for that sure. That's true. Yep. Very. Yeah. The tough times of Airbnb. So that's all the history. And there's just uh, ghosts now. Mm. So and Blaze, dare I remind everybody that you are not as much of a believer as I am, although a few people are, to be fair. Not quite. But again, then again, I just don't mess around with it. Um, you know, if Christine says there's a ghost in this room, I, you know, the, the haunted uh, carousel over there, I just uh, yeah. will be like, I mean, I'm just not going to like it to I'm not going to disprove anything. And so it's not <laughs> okay. really fair. I'm not I'm not giving anyone a fair playing field here. Like you say, oh, I think there's a ghost and I'm just going to be like, nah, and then not not do anything. To, I'm just like that guy who just says no. So, I mean, I, I will say the creepiest room I experienced is that little offshoot room that you're next to. That was oh, a yeah. little odd. But and then my mother slept in there when she was here with the visiting the baby. And I was like, and she listens to your guys podcast. She's like a super fan. I was like, mom, did you listen to the new episode? She goes, no, I haven't listened yet. I'm like, oh, cool. I'm like, you just wait till you go home. It's all good. There's nothing to worry about. 
It had to have been fun for her. I imagine, like, if, he, if there's a podcast you're a huge fan of, to be able to sleep <laughs> overnight in their studio is, like, I a know. fun little thing. Yeah, she's just got full access to you guys. I mean... She could have done a lot of damage, but said she slept <laughs> next to the haunted sewing carousel. So. Yep, that's it. Also, hi to Sherry. You are mm-hmm. a peach. You're a dream. And also, you're very brave, because I would have not number one. Uh, So the spirits here are said to be former owners and employees who loved the inn um, and just never left. And uh, often the guests here hear whispers at night by their bed. They see shadow figures in their rooms or in the lobby. Um, They have captured EVPs or audio recordings of uh, spirits saying things. They have gotten pictures of orbs, which, okay, like I believe in a lot of things, but I don't necessarily believe in orbs. Uh, people hear strange music, voices, footsteps, the TVs and the lights turn on and off by themselves and items will completely vanish. And when you look everywhere for it and finally give up, it'll be somewhere ridiculous hiding from you. So just the old classics, I guess. (laughs) And, uh, the owner, one of the owners, I think she's the former owner now, but her name was TJ Brennan. And her and her brother, Chris, owned the place for a long time. I guess it stayed in the family for a few generations. Yeah, Chris Curtis. Probably, (laughs) actually. I'm not sure of the last name, but it could be Curtis for all we know. Uh, And TJ is very vocal about how haunted this place is. So most of the quotes I got were from interviews from her. And TJ said that uh, the beds will look completely made and then you'll turn around five seconds later and it looks like someone's completely rolled all over them. Um, I'll let Geo. you. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we both thought <laughs> the same thing. It's just the the bed's just a fucking mess. Um, so apparently there's also reports of a strong force that will knock people over, even though there's no one behind them. It'll just feel like someone bumped into them. People's hair gets tugged in the attic, uh, and then again they catch orbs and EVPs up there too. So these are ghosts that like the place, but they're pulling on people's hair. Yeah, I also don't understand. It seems like maybe they like the place, but not the people. I don't know. It's like, oh, we really love it. We got to tell you about this five star <laughs> review right now. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh, like, do you have a moment to talk about your car's extended warranty? Like, just like kind of like Jeez, holding oh you there. <laughs> yeah. Here's a I, I added this in in your honor, um, but oh. coincidentally, for as many ghosts as there seem to be here, none of them ever will show up on camera. They're very camera shy. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying See, that I don't even have to go disprove it. I'm I'm giving you the benefit of the doubt that <laughs> you have a point. You haven't even said it and you have a point. Uh, but they're said to. But then here's the thing. The paranormal freaks out there could be like, well, duh, they have to drain the energy out of the equipment and turn all the cameras off. And then they're active because they have they have restored some energy to them. So they can't, they can't do anything if the cameras are on cause they have no energy. So uh, you could get, I don't know. We could really duke it out if you wanted to. Uh, <laughs> I also, mean, <laughs> so this is not paranormal. Well, it is, but it's not ghosts, but I, I believe in UFOs. Christine's going to get mad at me and say, you say you don't believe what I, my, my super hot take is that, uh, <laughs> whatever aliens are out there mm-hmm. are too far advanced for us to like perceive, what is going on. But so like, I don't think that you see things like unidentified flying objects. I don't think that there, it'd be possible for us to see the flying object. Like they, whatever Mm. they're doing is, is beyond us. 
They're around. right. Like it's like we're it's pretty condescending of us to think that their technology is only as advanced as ours. Yeah, as they're not just eyes. like hovering next to airplanes to freak us out. They're not <laughs> crop circle. They're not doing that. They're whatever they're doing is outside of our uh, realm of control. So uh, I I like to think there's at least like a couple like there's like. Just on every planet, there's a handful of assholes, though, who, mm. like, think it, like, oh, let's go over to, like, the planet next door and, like, just, <laughs> like, ride out the cheapo vintage the equipment. Thors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, have just, like, the, you know, use, like, our grandpa's old UFO where people could still see it and, you know, just freak mm-hmm. them out. Um, also, I appreciate that you were taking advantage of the fact that Christina's not here and yet the world can hear you and you're like, uh, let me set the record straight. The UFOs <laughs> do exist regardless of what Christine's going to say. Um, there's also a spirit in, uh, 17th, 18th century clothing who apparently doesn't like the renovations was very much a traditionalist and how the mm. inn was and likes to bother the Fuck construction workers. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like everyone needs to be a little humbled every now and then. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I guess like he likes to bother the construction workers and will steal their tools or move their ladders or whatever it is. This is very sweet. And also if all the spirits are employees or owners, this is kind of an outlier, but there's one spirit of an owner's brother-in-law where maybe he also worked here. I'm unsure. Mm-hmm. Um, but he apparently shows up to people in their dreams and calms them down when they're like in a bad mood. It's oh. pretty nice. Everyone that's, could use that. <laughs> that's like unpoltergeisty. It's like a little angel. It's like a Casper mm-hmm. the Friendly Ghost situation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there but you like, go. And also, it's very nice for him to only like be intruding upon your dreams and not actually make you feel physically in danger. You know, mm-hmm. it's like. Whoa, 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 I'm just here, and then I'm going back away, you know? <laughs> uh, Thank God it's Casper, the friendly ghost, not Elkin, the friendly ghost. <laughs> I don't think Elkin, the friendly ghost, would have gone over very well. <laughs> you know, I've, I have thought, like, I wonder how they got the name Casper, because I like to think the writing room has sat down and been like, we got to come up with the friendliest name. But I wouldn't put Casper. I would pick something softer than Casper, like it w- Bobby, you know, like, I don't know. But not yeah. Bobby. I don't know what I would pick. But it <laughs> Robert, wouldn't be... <laughs> the friendly ghost. But like, it could like be like Buddy every... <laughs> or like, you know? <laughs> mm, yeah, that's very, yeah, Buddy is a good one. That's But it's like a dog name. There's that's, no dogs yeah. named Casper other than they're being, they're white and they're named after Casper, the friendly ghost. Yeah, if you have a dog named Casper who isn't white, it, I do wonder about the backstory. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel like a writing room would have, like the original Casper the Friendly Ghost people, Casper had. Oh, actually, I did cover Casper the Friendly Ghost. I wonder if I figured out the yeah. origin of the name. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, I don't remember either. I think I've listened to that episode. It's nice. And then of Christine you. talked about her trauma. That sounds right. <laughs> which it, I mean, hey, that episode is very sad. I it's mean, a pretty. I I, it, I did watch it for research, yep. and I was like, wow, I didn't actually re- know that the. Like the pilot episode of Casper the Friendly Ghost, where everyone had to watch a dog die. That was <laughs> the what fox. Is this? It's old a fox, yeller? right? Oh yeah, fox, a fox. Well, either way, yeah, you know, canine like species. Yeah. Yes, no, not cool. I mean, 
I guess it I, stuck, so they knew what they were doing, but... Yeah, again, it's like old-timey people had no concept of trauma, and they are like, wow, why are all the kids just really remembering this experience? <laughs> they must love the show. It's like, no. <laughs> all they're, they're all thinking about their pets are, that are going to die one day. Uh, kill more animals. Yeah. Did that come out before or after Bambi? Did Disney uh, steal Bambi from Casper? I don't know. Maybe I like to think that it was like in a family business. It was a family business <laughs> where they were all like, let's just kill an animal and see how the kids react. Uh, also, apparently during Christmas time, uh, that's when the spirits are particularly active at this. Oh, end. Okay. So, uh, again, the former owner, TJ Brennan, her family, I guess, has actually been involved with the end since the 50s. But I don't know when she herself took it over. Um, but this is a quote from her. This inn is haunted. I would walk by a table and two minutes later, a plate would fly off the table. I went to light the fireplace and then it blew up on me and I got burned. We had a gentleman that worked here who would take an ashtray in the early morning and sit by the window and drink a cup of coffee and have a cigarette. But after he passed away, we would every once in a while find an ashtray with a cigarette butt in his favorite place, which could be spooky or I am very aware skeptics that someone could have just literally put an ashtray there. Um, (laughs) With all of this, though, uh, TJ has reassured that she's never felt scared at the at the inn. Um, but she and everyone that works there is very aware that room 16 is like the most haunted room. And it's best known for the bed covers getting tugged at or pulled off completely um, when you're sleeping overnight. So uh, one person, I guess, was even shoved out of the bed. I don't know how accurate that is, but apparently whoever is in that room doesn't seem to like women because it will yank the covers off of them and women will feel stared at. Um, I guess some sort of implication of like, get out, but guys once again, blaze, they get all the special (laughs) attention Uh and, uh, whatever spirit is there will like tuck them in like the, like the intense tuck where they'll like wake up feeling like really held in the blanket. Mm. And they'll even feel something crawl into bed with them. But, somehow not in a creepy way just in like a hey i'm here next to you protecting you way uh-huh i know uh, uh yeah know. not gonna not on board with <laughs> <laughs> no thanks uh tj said uh quote we had one gentleman say that he had the best night's sleep here because every time he would kick the blankets off they would be brought up and tucked back all around him he would always ask for that same room and he always felt the spirit was female but not dangerous just in a very nurturing way which that's nice of that guy, but like, I don't no, need to ever go gross. back into a room. Where who I'm... keeps going back into a room to get like the blankets put back on you? Like someone ew. who wasn't touched and held enough as a child, please. <laughs> Do we have to go down that road again about poor child oh, development? Oh uh, no. So apparently, Blaze, if you and Christine went to that hotel, you would have a better time, I think. Um, also, I the name had not Debatable. been mentioned. The name had not been mentioned anywhere, but. Um, I guess I'm ruining the end here, but there is an episode, not of Ghost Adventures on this, but of a different (laughs) favorite show of mine, which is Hotel Hell. And um, they kept mentioning this ghost that's in room 16 that tucks people in named Betty. But nowhere on the internet is Betty. I feel like they just made the name up for the TV show. So apparently... Uh, I mean, no, Gordon knows. Gordon Gordon believes in ghosts. He won't take shit from them, but... He actually, well, I'll get it. I'll get into that. But they, oh. they did do the, like the paranormal. They plugged the ghosts on the show for sure. Mm-hmm. I'll get to that. So, um, there so, are four small T.O. So how old is TJ 
Like when, how recent is TJ's ownership of this? I feel like TJ, well, so whenever Hotel Hill came out, she was still oh, running so the recent. place. Yeah. And she, yeah, because she was on the show with her brother, Chris. And that's just interesting going back to the ghost or the potential ghost who leaves the cigarettes that like, and usually yeah. it's always old, old ghosts. And then all of a sudden there's this guy like just that people knew, like someone knew him oh, there's and his a, stuff is still around. There's a fav- It's weird that you mentioned that because I'm going to mention one of those more recent ghosts because we do okay. regularly. I mean, we as me and Christine, but also as like a paranormal community are always like, why is everyone so like antiquated? Like where's yep. like the the people who like it like music like us where's that person where's the 90s jams <laughs> right someone in the what 90s we call has music died now five. right yeah where are you <laughs> well, that's what we call music five. <laughs> uh let me uh, we i i feel like you just said because that just, just adds about- to the thing that like something about the building or the property has something to do with it because like he didn't like die mysteriously or uh like have a bad death there or something like that or a bad experience oh. not based on these descriptions unless some giant headboard fell on his head that i don't know about i i don't know <laughs> i nothing like i it's it's weird what people stayed in which people didn't and why yep. they stayed or how they died it seems like no one also died in this hotel which is weird because usually there's always like a woman in red and there's always like <laughs> someone who like was waiting for her husband in the 1800s and he yep. never showed. And so it's weird that this has no reason to be paranormal and there's just like a bunch of ghosts just coming on in. So I don't know. Just there's old. Just old. And there's there's four main spirits. There's one unnamed spirit who apparently is a matronly woman yikes can you imagine that being your descriptor <laughs> um my mom that was always her uh the two biggest insults you could get from my mom is being called matronly or frumpy which mean the same thing to her by the way but if she used either of those words it was not she does not like you oh and i was so, gonna, i was gonna say who the hell <laughs> said that to linda but no linda no given that, she says that it, she's yeah. given that heat i got she, you behind closed doors she'd be like i don't know something just kind of frumpy and i'm like oh girl like like i don't know who said that to you at some point and it really hit you and now that's like your biggest insult but it's it's a weird word to like really hang on to but Makes me anyway think of, like the muppets from like fraggle rock they were pretty it sounds frumpy. like it sounds like snow white's like eighth little person like it sounds yeah. like dopey and frumpy you know because oh, grumpy okay yeah fun fact if you ever hear my mom call anyone frumpy it's not good and she oh. used to say it to me sometimes if i like wasn't trying hard enough and mm-hmm. i was like i see you're trying to hurt my feelings i'm not gonna <laughs> let that happen damn um okay so a matronly woman aka my mother's worst nightmare to become a ghost <laughs> just to be called matronly um i guess she's very particular about things at the end so that's why they assume she's also an ex-employee because she seems to like to oversee the dining room, and I guess if some, I'm assuming if things aren't going the way she likes, she'll help rearrange silverware or something. And uh, she makes very overwhelmed employees feel very calmed. I guess there's certain spaces where she they can go to, and she makes them less stressed out. Mm-hmm. Also, a lovely ghost between that person and the dream ghost. I like this place so far to be haunted. Um, during one Thanksgiving, there was, I guess, a medium there who went to TJ and said, like, oh, I don't know if you know you have ghosts, but there's one woman here who 
quote, just wants you to know she's very content and her day is done and it went very smoothly and she's very happy with the way her day went. So I like that she's giving status reports also. Man. I know. I want that like tattooed on my chest <laughs> and then to be like, I feel that way every day. I've never, that I've never felt that in my entire life. <laughs> content. Maybe. I was just content with the day. You could always just, find one flaw. Especially like it was apparently such a good day that you cross dimensions to tell someone about it. How are you a ghost if you have that, mu- if you're that content? Like I yeah. feel like ghosts are all full of Unfinished anxious business. energy. Maybe I'm just full of anxious energy. So I think of that I put that on them, but if you're that I mean, content, where are you? What are you doing? Go, go <laughs> to the next plane. I know. Stay I would, there. I would almost think that if that was how your day went, then this is your last day on this side, right? Like yeah. when you like elevate afterwards, it's like, I feel huh. like all the pharmaceutical companies that go there, find this ghost and like <laughs> capture it like 13 ghost style and like just like extract this contentness <laughs> and then give the drug some stupid long ass name afterwards. And uh, uh, yeah. Cure anxiety. This, it really is like the the calmest, nicest update I've heard. But also it makes me wonder if she had such a good day that she was reporting it to the other side. Then like, what are the other days like? Like, are they? (laughs) That's true (laughs) too. How bad are they going that this one felt noteworthy, you know? (laughs) Yeah, it's, I guess it's all in perspective. I don't know this ghost day to day, but yeah, that, if that was her day, then you know what? I guess we could all hope for that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I let's all just strive to be that that matronly woman on Thanksgiving night. <laughs> so the second ghost is Sally, who I think is also Betty. I think they just changed up her name for the TV show, which makes no sense to me. But she's especially seen in room 16. She likes to hang out on the second floor. And the staff literally call her a friend, which I feel like we're crossing lines here. But OK. <laughs> um, and I guess there is a chair that's often seen rocking back and forth on the second floor. And they attribute that to Sally. She also doesn't like renovations. And TJ said that uh, when Sally found out about renovations, she uh was more active on the second floor and they would uh, come to work every day and see that there was a chair upstairs that would always be turned to face the wall as in like, didn't want to look at the rest of the building and the drawers would get pulled out and there would just be more noise, etc. And TJ said, quote, we would go up there and say, Sally, will you just give us some time? If you just relax, you're going to like it. Like when the renovations are done. And I guess after that, she calmed down and then they, I guess she liked it because after the renovations, there was not as much activity anyway. So they were right. That is a very reasonable ghost, I guess. If you could, you could, uh, like talk it down. The, yeah. <laughs> that one needs to talk to the matronly woman who just couldn't be more happy. So, I mean, it seems like they know how to go do their own thing. Just sit in a quarter and stare. I mean, yeah. if only Geo would do that when the mailman <laughs> came. <laughs> I, you know, I love that they are still self-regulating their emotions. Like they're still doing the work. Yeah. After after the fact, they're like, these I'm gonna are like the most like put breather. together ghosts. I mean, they may be matronly and frumpy, but I guess we're throwing <laughs> frumpy at them. But um, I mean, they're just they're killing it. I mean, what what's wrong with this situation here? They're the I'll least... go stay in this house. Yeah, they're the least <laughs> unhinged for sure yes. they, of all the ghosts I've ever reported on. And I guess the staff 
are also really aware of that. And a lot of the sources I saw, they were all calling these spirits friends, which I guess if this is a family business of several generations, you do grow up with them Mm -hmm. or you're just like aware. I think even TJ was saying like, I've heard of all these stories, but very, very few things happen to me because I'm just such a constant in their life. I don't think they, I think they do their thing. I do my thing and we just kind of coexist. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's very weird that they really are just like other roommates. Um, Another spirit is Lucius Foot, which sounds like some Harry Potter shit. And <laughs> he apparently owned the inn in the 1850s. And he uh, mysteriously died one night after winning quite a lot in a game of poker at the inn. The next day he was found in a nearby church's barn and all of his money had been taken from him. And people think that he could be the ghost in room one. So there is a ghost there. Um, that is also described as a quote, elegant Confederate gentleman, which what kind of oxymoron is that? But okay. Yeah. Connecticut don't have a lot of Confederates. <laughs> <laughs> Only elegant gentlemen. Um, but so I guess some people think that the elegant Confederate gentleman and Lucius foot are separate beings. Some say that it's mm-hmm. the same ghost in the room, but they're both found in room one, um, which was the innkeeper's quarters. And I guess people will see this spirit, Um, he'll just show up in your room and he is known to loudly stomp around and take off his boots, which I feel like it's kind of stinky when he takes (laughs) his boots off. I just feel like if, if you're taking your boots off that intensely, it's cause you had a long day Mm -hmm. and now I have to deal with this. So smell a vision. I know. Native right on there. Especially if the feet are like 300 years old. Are you kidding me? I'm <laughs> oh, so yeah. not interested. That's a fa- and your name is Lucius Foote. That's, right? that's an extra problem. Wait a minute. I didn't even put those together. I'm gonna. I'm deciding that this person is the same person that takes his boots off. Because he wants to show you his little feet. His little Lucius I know. feet. He's going to replace John Madden as like the spokesperson for like Lotriman AF. Like he's, he's got it right there. Athlete's foot has nothing on <laughs> Lucius foot. <laughs> also, I'm now realizing, is it like a like a a pen name for like luscious feet or I don't know. Ooh. Like, let me take off these boots so we can all get a good view. I don't know. Mm, the mystery deepens. <laughs> the plot thickens. So yes. some, some reports even say that, uh, he's apparently after he kicks his boots off, he says to them, I've had a rough ride, which like, I'd be like, yeah, I'm about to have a rough ride. Put your shoes back on. Um, <laughs> He also apparently fades into the wall for some people, or he also will climb into bed with you. These ghosts are way too friendly. I don't like how cl- how confident yeah, they are. Nope. About that is not people. like Connecticut. We do not like co- <laughs> physical contact. It feels a little like not deep hugging. South hospitality, but like to <laughs> yeah. the extreme. Uh, the same spirit is also apparently seen in the dining room, and he has become he became the most active once they opened up the pub. Which okay, maybe this is just the ghost of Christine the whole time, uh, because <laughs> the spirit is most apparently famous for enjoying the liquor closet. I don't know what that means, but I'm guessing that means that either liquor goes missing, which could just be an employee, or like things are <laughs> clinking around in there. I don't know. I don't know what's happening, but apparently he likes the pub area. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is the final ghost, which is Joe Hardesty. And the Hardesty is another family line that uh, owned the inn for a while. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a former dishwasher. He died in 1985, so pretty recent. Mm. And he, I don't know why, what is going on at this inn that everyone loves it so much? Joe apparently asked to be buried on the property. 
So that would make sense why his ghost is here. Yeah. I Imagine mean, being a dishwasher and you are just fucking loving it so much. We were like, put my body to rest right here. Yeah, that is that is something. I mean, you know, it's it's gonna get a good uh crap. Not indeed. The other website. <laughs> Zip recruiter. No. Oh no. Glass door. Glass door. Eva, edit that. Uh make me look smart. <laughs> it's impossible. Wow. Welcome. Welcome, Blaze, to what we're always begging Eva to do. And she can't figure it out. We always look dumb. Uh, well, it says Christine. It's Christine who said it. It says it in the corner of my screen there. Um <laughs> No, yeah, glass door. Like that, like you don't need it at that point. Like you just got like you just be like, yo, we're burying our employees out here in a non-scary way like we're good i wonder if it's because if his family had worked there for several years and maybe he thought his family was going to continue to work there for several years that way he would like Mm -hmm. be with his family i don't that's the best i can come up with these people get to live there is like they're also living and working there and like that's just such i mean or i mean even if they're just working there i think no only because if there's only like 18 rooms yeah. I feel like there's not a it's not a lot of space. I think yes. you, me, and everyone is gonna like this particular ghost. So Joe, mm. that dishwasher who has been buried under the property, apparently he is a ghost that eats mashed potatoes. That I'm cool with. That I'm fine I'm with. So on board with that. Mashed potatoes are I don't know. Can Primo. you call mashed potatoes underrated? I don't know. They're underrated Would you and overrated. Mashed and all potatoes or stuffing at Thanksgiving? No, ma- potatoes. Yes. Okay. That's yeah. It. Uh, so TJ, I guess, asked an employee to go downstairs and get some firewood at one point, but the employee like came sprinting back and said, "I can't go down there. There is a guy sitting on the stairs eating his mashed potatoes." <laughs> Which, like, by the way, if that's not a, if you don't think that's a ghost, then why can't you just go downstairs and like walk past the guy eating potatoes? But whatever. But now Uh, the only question is, is it really mashed potatoes or can ghosts like conjure up better image? Like you you said, always a lady in white or a lady in red. Maybe he can only conjure up a white looking substance and it's just. You know what's crazy? Here's the next sentence. Uh Oh, TJ flippantly went, oh, you saw Joe. Just go get the firewood. He's fine. And then the employee said, but you don't understand. He had white pants and a white shirt. He was not clean shaven and he was just sitting there eating mashed potatoes. I like how this guy is talking frenetically like you don't understand. This guy is eating (laughs) potatoes. It's crazy. Like, like, there's no threat, sir. Like, just go get like this is the laziest employee I've ever heard of where he's like, ah, that guy's on his lunch break and therefore I'm not going to cross him. (laughs) Um, But also all I've learned from this is that there are ghost potatoes, which means me in the afterlife has the ability to still eat potatoes. That's what I just learned. So there is one final ghost, which apparently is uh, Anthony Stoddard himself, who only Mm -hmm. showed up as a spirit to the hotel or to the inn when a distant relative donated a painting of him to the inn. And I guess his energy came with the painting. Um, Once they hung it up, people had very intense, like overwhelming paranoia. Whenever they were near the painting, they always felt like they were being stared at or judged or just really uncomfortable in general. Um, to a point where I guess guests were also feeling that way and the owners had to move the painting. Um, they ended up moving it to a wall where it was all by itself on the wall. So it had all the attention and the activity <laughs> seemed to die down. But um, they, I guess while the painting was up, people also saw more activity on the first floor in the hallways. I, I don't know if they saw figures or something, but it all seemed to die down once the painting got moved away from the lobby. 
And, and I'm then, sorry. Did you say what the painting is of? It's of him. It's of Anthony oh, oh, like a portrait. Okay. Yeah. It's very Gemini energy. I wonder when he was born <laughs> to be like, mm, I need a whole wall to my my framed painting. Seriously. Yeah. Move me. That's like, like that's where Gio will end up. His yeah. paintings. <laughs> he already has a, like a regal painting done of him, doesn't he? Many. Fans yeah. are amazing. Your fans are amazing <laughs> artists. And we have so many Gio. And he's going to just need a whole floor, I guess, of his paintings. That's he needs how he'll... A, Carry he needs a, on. a fireplace mantle portrait. Like mm. on, I want a, one right above the mailbox so that he could just stare at the mail. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Can you imagine like a little framed like regal painting just sticking on the back and it's like his mantle. Wait, a, that's very sweet. Oh no. Um, so there is one uh I guess medium or sensitive named Joni Mahan who wrote about uh their time at the inn. They have a blog, JoniMahan.com. And they stayed the night immediately sensed an intimidating male presence, but also a young, curious woman that I guess they got the vibe of it being like a maid from the 1800s. Hmm. At the same time, Joni spent the entire night feeling icy cold hands touching her face and legs and ankles and grabbing at her. And whenever she would tell them to stop, it would only get worse because no. by the end of the night, Joni, quote, Felt something jolt her in pain, like someone had reached into my eye socket and grabbed my eyeball. And then the pain moved to my chest, and it felt as though I was having a heart attack. The feeling eased and then moved to my leg. And pretty much all night, she, quote, woke up every few minutes to someone again grabbing my ankle. This would go on the entire night. The minute I'd fall asleep, uh, several times the touch would come with a strong smell. Once I smelled cigarette smoke and the other time a very foul smell of a dirty animal nearly made me choke. What little sleep I was ma I managed to get was interlaced with dreams of people I didn't know trying to urgently tell me they wanted me to hear something. Uh, when I woke up the next morning, I felt as tired as I had when I got into the room at midnight. So that's a completely different twist on Ugh. the experience I, mean... I was in. <laughs> I'm glad that you that she was alive the next morning. My emergency <laughs> medicine brain only thinks of like an aortic dissection, <laughs> like the big blood vessel <laughs> off her heart ruptures. It's it's a they call it a plus one. You have like chest pain and like a headache or vision change. Yeah, I don't. I didn't like anything that she was talking. But duly I'm glad noted. She's alive. Next, next time I <laughs> don't don't talk I'm to me when you have symptoms because I go to the worst place every time. You and Christine are really just kismet. Like I, it makes a lot of sense why <laughs> the two of you can just compare paranoias. It's like, well, I. Well, she always <laughs> wants to stay home. I'm always trying to send her to the to the emergency room. She she's, does have she's that good. that creepy strength. She's got such a weird tolerance <laughs> for all sorts of pain and stress. It blows my mind. I I, I would be. If I lived in your house every second, I'd be like, Blaze, let's just go to the hospital. Who knows? Oh, what I this learned is that about. very quickly. The number we would have been at the hospital five times if we went every time they wanted us to go for labor. And we did go once. We, we did. went. Yeah. And it was I think it was the right decision. It I, was wrong, but not well, wrong. I, but Oh, it was wrong. I look, I'm not here to be right. I'm just here to th actively throw my suggestion out. But I definitely was like, Blaze, take Christine to the hospital. She is about to have this baby. And I came back. Yeah. I stopped watching football. Who'd Look, have thought? That's, I think we've all learned already that that means a lot coming from you. <laughs> uh, so TJ, uh, apparently, I don't, that was a weird, like, one hit wonder when it comes to, like, a bad experience at the hotel. A yeah. lot of people seem to not have that experience. Eyeballs so. being pulled out don't, not good. 
It's enough to make me wonder if I should get a room there. But uh, <laughs> it seems to have only happened to one person who was, I think, I don't know. I don't know what was going on, but it seems like maybe this sensitive brought other things with mm-hmm. them to the inn. Mm. But TJ only lets choice respectful investigators come to the inn to investigate because uh, she's afraid of pissing off the spirits. So she only lets it happen kind of once in a blue moon. Hmm. So she has let medium and investigator Donna Kent come, which I guess is kind of like one of the bigger psychics in the area. And then Lorraine and Ed Warren, um, which we've talked about a lot on the show. Oh, yeah. The Warrens have been there a few times and Lorraine has even said, quote, my husband and family have gone there. There's a bedroom upstairs, that first bedroom. That room always seems to be very active. Sometimes when people come out uh, out of state for visits, I always ask if they want to stay at a real haunted inn and then suggests the Curtis House Inn for them because they're from Monroe, Connecticut. Oh, yeah. So Lorraine has also stated that the attic and the second floors are hot spots for ghosts. And now... Hotel Hell. Uh, it is season two, episode seven, and Gordon Ramsay stayed there. And the show tried to make it seem like well, I don't even know if the show tried to do it, but a lot of the press around this episode tried to make it look like Betty, the ghost in room sixteen, who I've never heard of other than in the show, <laughs> uh, was like locking him in and like making the door difficult to open. But like he was is also it just easier to say Betty in a British accent. I'm not even going yeah, to maybe. attempt British accents. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I don't know how hard it is to say Sally versus Betty. I feel like I've heard Gordon Ramsay maybe say both at different times. I think it's fine. I don't know what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, he is. says bullshit a lot. That's close to Betty. <laughs> that... <laughs> it gets bleeped, though. Maybe he's not saying it right. Maybe he's always been saying Betty. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he doesn't. Betty shit. Maybe he doesn't know how to curse. <laughs> uh, the, apparently, they he, he kept getting locked in his room, and then the sh- the press after the fact was like, oh, and the ghost Betty kept locking him in. First of all, I've never heard of Betty. Second of all, he was literally on an episode of Hotel Hell where the hotel <laughs> needs a drastic renovation. So the door could have just been getting stuck. And that's what the, that's what the episode looked like. It looked like he just couldn't open the door because the hinges were Uh-oh. fucked up. And uh, or like the wood had warped or something. But I will say within 30 seconds of the episode, you can find it on YouTube uh, for free 99, uh, like 30 <laughs> seconds after the theme song, uh, the owner, TJ, is talking about how haunted the place is like went straight into the ghost factor. And at the end of the episode, during the renovations, I guess they've really decided that Betty really lives there because there's now after the renovations pillows with Betty's name on a chair in the room to like appease her. So she doesn't bother huh. people. And they also put in a really creepy painting. Like that's supposed to spook you. Um, where it's like one of those paintings with the eyes are like more hollow than the rest. So it looks like it's following you everywhere. It's like one of those, like Wait, they make those. Yeah. It was like, and it looked like an antique, uh, an old school. Mm. It looks like a haunted painting that is supposed to follow you around. But I think it's nah. like a play on the haunting. I'm, That's not I wonder good. If, I wonder if they've taken it down since, but yeah, maybe it's like, you know, it's like it's like the episodes of um, kitchen nightmares where he and the the owner is just convinced that their food is so good. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe she's just convinced that this place just needs to be haunted. It's not, not a great look for the reputation of her haunting. It's not a the, it's I, I mean, obviously, I, I will immediately believe something is haunted, and it wasn't originally a, a great look that only, I could only find interviews from her. Like, no yeah. one else was talking about the ghost. But, interesting you say that, because my next bullet point is that 
Um, at the end of the show, Gordon Ramsay actually hired a paranormal investigator to come in just to like, oh, okay. like pr- either prove or disprove everything TJ had been saying. And yeah. the hotel is now officially, I don't know how you get on this registrar, but the hotel is certified haunted and oh, it was added shit. to the membership of haunted Connecticut tours. So now it's, that's actually in terms of haunted ha- ha- hotel hell. It's probably drawing in people and helping the hotel out now that they're part of the Haunted Connecticut Tours. Okay. Um, in 2018, 2019, I guess TJ finally gave up the hotel or the inn, which I guess that means hotel help didn't help. I'm unsure. Yeah. But uh, they, re- usually. they resold it and re- and the new people who bought it renamed it the Evergreen Inn and Tavern. So it's the first time it's had a name change since the 1700s. But then I think it switched hands again very quickly. And it's now owned by like a very a big name chef, uh, Michael hmm. Bates Walsh. And he uh, bought the inn and renamed it the 1754 house. And today it is still an inn. It is still a restaurant and it is still a tavern. And that is a story of the Curtis Inn. Nice. House, Curtis House Inn. So anyway, there you go. There's your Connecticut story, please. I Thank you so much for bringing Connecticut. You give me plenty of plenty of fodder to, oh, to speak about Connecticut. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll take it. I liked it. It's better than Melonheads, probably. Or at well, least my rendition of the Melonheads. I will probably be reaching out to you for for a statement on the Melonheads when I cover that topic. Just yeah, so you'll, you can you'll still have be to get it from my father. I've never heard of them. So oh, okay. I'll, I'll hook you up. Good, 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 good. I, I Lenny's can't wait. a good storyteller. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Everyone knows the holidays can take a toll on your bank account. If you're looking for creative ways to increase revenue, then get started with Squarespace's new feature, Squarespace Courses. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own online course. Start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with the powerful built-in Fluid Engine Editor. With Squarespace Courses, you can create engaging content your audience will love, then simply add a paywall and set the price. Plus, you can charge a one-time fee or sell subscriptions. Turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, go to www.squarespace.com drink to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things. But Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses. Whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? 
We have loved stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts just go to stamps.com click the microphone at the top of the page and enter code drink do you have a story for us i do have a story i am not as professional as you i didn't put my notes on the computer so i have to get my paper notes no worries so i mean this one i wanted to do but then i just felt like it might hit a little too close to home uh-oh, why? Was it a, what's it about? Oh, no, I deleted it. Whoops. Anyways. <laughs> uh, so it was a Yahoo article because, I, you know, I'm an old man and I get most of my articles from, from Yahoo. Uh-huh. Um, Is your spe- email, does it end in hotmail.com or something? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I've graduated to Gmail. So I will cite my sources, but it's not going to be like professional citing. Uh, I'm going to switch hats, though, too, since I said I would do that earlier. Okay. What do I have? So this Connecticut minor league team number two. Very fun. I know. Can you you guess what this logo is? I don't think I can see it close. I don't think I have it close enough to me. Is that the... Wait, that's not the whalers. The whalers are. The... Oh no, that's a good guess though. No, that's also connected. So that the yard goats use the same color as the whalers. So you're on it there. Okay. This team is called the Sea Unicorns. Yeah, that uh, one I did not. Or the Sea Puppies. <laughs> Wait, isn't it the Sea Puppies? No, no. There, there is a team that's like the Sea Wolves or something. But this, no, they, these are the Sea Unicorns um, because they're named after like the uh, the uh, crap. What is this? What is this whale? The whale with the horn. Uh. Uh, uh, the guy that goes narwhal. Yes, yes. The, I was so, gonna say the guy that goes bye, buddy. Hope you find your dad. <laughs> so I apologize. I know I already lost track of the and I lost the title. Anyways, there was a Yahoo article going back to Yahoo. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> see, at least I could do tangents like Christine. You um, sure can. Now I see how uh, how she probably fell for you. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm clearly not quoting it anymore, but the title was um, uh, Georgia Man Arrested for Spending COVID Relief Money on $45,000 Pokemon, Pokemon card. Cards. I yes, saw and I this. Was like, Ah, I was the, you stole my joke. I was going to be like, oh, I can't talk about the co-host of this podcast. <laughs> uh, so I that actually, was... I, I, do you know how many people have sent me that link? Because apparently it just okay. like, everyone it does has scream. Been... M. That, yeah. I mean, like, it's it, like, I could go find a $45,000 baseball hat. That would be the only other thing I could think of to, to match M. So my thing is if I ever had, if I was ever willing to spend that kind of money, I've already committed to the lookalike Back to the Future Part Two DeLorean. So I can't um, even convince my first. And also, the Charizard is now like bumping up to like yeah, like fifty grand. I'm like, if I at least I can drive the other one versus just yeah. like hold this thing, you know. So yeah, it was the not me. In case anyone's wondering, <laughs> yeah, the practicality of the small piece of paper is is a tough tough call i i actually can't even buy a pokemon card that's over like 
30 bucks without feeling really gross because I'm like it's just paper that I'm going to put in a binder no one on earth cares about so like it's <laughs> when I think of people who actually do spend that much money on cards I'm like just blown away every time but that's so. okay like 30 bucks is the same as a hat like that's okay that's true I usually, that, yeah. I usually say if I wouldn't or like a Funko yeah or like a, like a t-shirt or something yeah exactly I, it's still within the, the realm of other things i buy so i feel yeah, safe we're, in it, so. yeah we, we're just like canceling out a few zeros you could just yeah. pretend you didn't see those last three zeros and say it was right. 45 dollars yeah. <laughs> yeah that's that's as that's exactly how i do all my paying i'm like just uh-huh. ignore the other zeros <laughs> so that was one option the melon heads was another but so then i was listening your guys episode that released i think it was the second to last episode from today mm-hmm. um christine mentioned a mickey pistorius do you remember mickey pistorius no oh. it was in relation to the south african strangler okay do you re- so mickey pistorius christine mentioned was used in that she was the she's a like internationally known uh forensic psychologist okay and at one point, you guys, Christine mentioned, she goes, oh, yeah, and her nephew is Oscar Pistorius. And you're like, oh, OK. And, she, and you asked, does that, of course, this is great, Blaze, doing quote, uh, you know, play by play of your previous episodes. <laughs> hey, I need it because I don't remember what uh, any no, of you, this conversation. You asked like, oh, was he a murderer before she became a criminal oh, psychologist? Yes. And Christine goes, oh, yeah, I think so. And I'm sitting in the car like waving my hand up in the air being like pick me pick me i know the answer for the first time ever because oscar pistorius is related to sports and when i go and play trivia with christine alexander and his friends and christine's friends i'm there one i give up if i don't know the answer i it's it's probably annoying to them that like i just sit in silence and drink until i but they bring me for medicine and sports uh marvel and sports all right, Perfect. long way around the back to so my story is about Oscar Pistorius, right? Okay, sports um, guy, yes, the nephew of Mickey Pistorius, and so the majority of my resource my resources are there was two documentaries done on this one by Amazon, which was a okay. four part documentary. Then ESPN has their own four part documentary. Uh, when I say then, I don't know which one was released first. I should okay. have looked it up, but um, and then the Wikipedia page. Um, so it's, you know, there might be things that are, that are errors. It may not be perfect, but no one's asking to be perfect. You're good. good. I I really like that. (laughs) And so, um, I started with the Mickey Pistorius, uh, Wikipedia page, which is much shorter than the Oscar Pistorius one. But so they're in, in the introduction and mentioned nowhere else is that Mickey Pistorius claims that she has cryptesthesia. Which do you have a guess as to what the definition of cryptesthesia is? Hmm. It's I feel like this is a trap because it sounds a lot like cryptid. Yeah. Um, oh, no. But oh. It, it's probably supposed to sound like that. I mean, it doesn't it's not cryptids. I will say that crypt crypt cryptesthesia. So like anesth- anesthesia is the like medicine where they're trying to like eliminate feelings or an eliminate thought. And sensation and is crypta supposed to be like imaginary or like i don't know i don't know what is no 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 you nail you're you're on it it's they on wikipedia it listed as an extra sensory perception for killers oh so she claims that she has cryptesthesia Um, whoa okay i've never heard of that that's 
that we could deep dive on eventually. <laughs> Which I mentioned to Christine and stuff like that. She's like, is it real? I'm like, I don't think so. Because <laughs> as I'll pro I'll mention at some point, you know, this takes place in South Africa. And, you know, just from the jump, South Africa, um, I didn't do like a deep dive and research into this part. But multiple journalists in these documentaries and multiple resources did say that, you know, South Africa has like an extremely high rate of like both domestic violence mm. and uh, like gun related violence, like stabbings. Oh, um, there's a lot of break ins. And so a lot of it stems from apartheid. And so it's, you know, it's a it definitely sets a base for this. But. It, maybe I shouldn't make a joke about this, but if Mickey Pistorius lives in South Africa, pretty good chance that she's around people. Who, and she's a she's a forensic psychologist. Sure. She's, like she's definitely like in the hot zone to yeah, be able to. She, it's probably more likely than not if she thinks someone's a killer, they probably are. And so uh, like there's it, at least a higher rate of like her being yeah. correct versus other places. Yes, exactly. Okay. So. I mean, no one needs to go study if she's right or wrong. Like, it's cool. I'm just I just that was my my quick take on that. Um, so Oscar Pistorius, though, this is her nephew. Got it. And so and you don't know about him, right? Not even a little bit, which Christine also had no idea. And I'm glad that I mentioned it to other people. And they're like, oh, yeah, Oscar Pistorius. But this like story is just more in depth than I thought it was, at least when I because my memory of it is because he's related to sports. So it definitely entered my sphere. Sure. Um, yeah. And it's rather recent. So I'm going to start with his early life and stuff. So he was born Oscar Leonard Carl Pistorius, and he was born on November 22nd, 1986. I should have written a star sign, but I didn't I think he's a Sagittarius. OK, I'll take you take your word for it. I okay. straight up didn't he look was it up. Very close to Scorpio territory. And I am glad that that's not the case, <laughs> except he's a killer. So I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess he's not solid in different ways. He's not good mind. for whatever star sign it is, unfortunately. Yeah, um, it's not a good look no matter exactly. where he falls. <laughs> he puts a bad name on all the rest of them. <laughs> um, and so his parents, his father's name was Hanky and his mother's name is Sheila. Um, and he's the middle of three children. So he has his older brother, Carl, and his younger sister, Amy, which I think I'm, I hope I'm not, I don't know, being weird with how I pronounce it. That's how like they pronounced it with the South African accent. Okay, um, so it could be. Like it's we spelled might... A-I-M-E with an accent E. Um, okay. So I don't think that I could pronounce it correctly on most times, but um, so I will refrain from pronouncing her name for the rest of the show. Okay. Um, but she's and she's not like a major character, but, um, you know, that it is, you know, he's a middle child. Okay. Um, but when he was born, he was born with fibular hemimelia, which basically just means that he had no fibula in his lower leg. So your lower leg has two bones, the tibia and the fibula. And he, on both sides, bilateral, he had no fibula and he was missing the outer half of both of his feet. So what? if you looked at, yeah, if you looked at him when he was born, he had just two toes, like his, his great uh. toe and the toe next to it. Yeah. And he was missing a lot of bones in his feet. And then the one of the two bones in his shin. I feel um, like this is the first time, and that's why I drink history, you didn't have to look up 
we like you just said something medical and just knew what it was i did practice pronouncing it a couple times because it was it's definitely a joke in pa school and medical school that um you know the people who didn't study by if they can pronounce medical terms correctly so i'm not even gonna say it a second time i'm just gonna hope that my buzz self got it right the first time (laughs) (laughs) and so but they this was not known before he was born like they couldn't see it on ultrasounds and stuff like that like in a in a baby in utero like that is those are small bones they're not going to know that beforehand so it was a surprise to the family okay and so his mother sheila took him to multiple doctors after he was born and she recorded the sessions with each doctor to try and figure out like what the best thing for him going forward would be and they eventually went with an orthopedic surgeon who decided that they thought the best option would be to amputate his feet And then use the excess skin from the heel Mm -hmm. and create stumps from that. And that is the term they use throughout all the episodes. So I apologize if stump maybe seems insensitive, but that is that is what they call and what he called it himself. Um, And so they and they decided to do it when he was 11 months old, because that's around the time just before most infants will start to walk. Uh, gotcha. With the goal that he would never learn how to walk without in, in any other way, like that this sure. would just be normal for him to walk on, like with amputated feet. But this guy um, becomes like a sports guy. Oh yeah! Wow. Um, okay. And so a very impressive athlete. So wow. Um, yeah, and so it's you know he overcomes a lot. Um, and one of the things that they mention a lot and, and he like his family mentions and there's interviews with him where he both his mother and his father were both like, you are not disabled. They really didn't like that term. I may use it intermittently throughout when I'm describing things, but they just said you can do whatever you want to do. Um, and so from a very early age, that was instilled in him. Right. Um, and as a kid, like they have they show like home videos and stuff like that, that he's just running around. You know, he's doing everything with he could do any he had prosthetic legs, um, but he also would would just walk around on his stumps. And he was just an active kid. He was a normal kid when he went to middle school and high school. People didn't even know that he had prosthetic legs for a long time um, because it based on what clothes he was wearing and he would participate in all sorts of sports like wrestling and rugby and things like that. So. And he later was quoted as saying that his sporting motto was, you're not disabled by the disabilities you have. You are able by the abilities you have. Oh. Um, so that was just nice. you know, what was instilled in him. And yeah. he, he you'll, you'll, I'll get to it, but he does like put that out into the world for sure during okay. his like athletic career. Now, his father uh, did leave the family when he was six years old. Um, and it wasn't like a... It, it was portrayed like he there's interviews with his uh, like his brother and sister and it wasn't like the dad wasn't a great guy. Okay. I can't pinpoint things that are like super bad, but they they weren't a fan of his. Um, so when he left, it wasn't like a really traumatic, devastating blow to the family. Well, it was in a sense of that. Now it's this now it's his mother, Sheila, with three kids in South Africa in the 90s which so apartheid had ended but things are still there's still high rates of crime she okay. was like uh, like uh, she was hyper vigilant about being like being exposed and being like a single mother 
And okay. the father had traveled extensively for business. So it, it kind of like was based on, I mean, from what I could tell, this was ha like happening in slow motion. But when he left, it like wasn't great. Like he just abandoned the family. It wasn't like an amicable divorce of some kind. So they and so then he doesn't have a father figure in his life starting from like the age of six years old. Got it. And but his his uncle, Arnold Pistorius, so his father's brother, do, he is a wealthy businessman and he does help support the family financially. Um, but he lives with his mom and his two siblings. Um, and so his mom is a single mother in South Africa. And I mentioned like these high rates of like violence, break ins are very common. Um, and so there was journalists who in these documentaries who spoke about how the mother had a reputation one for, I mean, and I don't want it cause there wasn't direct stuff about this anywhere. So I can't directly attribute some of this, but it was, they did mention that, well, one, she, she ends up dying when Oscar is 15 years old. Oh, wow. Um, and the okay. family describes, it was very sudden. Um, the family describes it as that she was very jaundiced and yellow when it happened. Um, huh. It happened really quickly, like fa much faster than anyone expected. Like they were all very shocked by her death. She was only 43 years old. Do you, um, as a as a medical professional, do you know at all what that looks like or what so that sounds like it was? Jaundice is generally, an, oh, I mean, it's very common in liver failure. Okay. So that was the first thing I thought of. And then there was the, there was this reporting that she was, she, she drank heavily. It's, you know, alcoholic or not alcoholic, you know, is tough to determine. Um, but it was also, she was also known to police because she would, uh, call the police very frequently with reports that there were people in her house or she heard noises around her house that she was concerned about it. They would arrive Sometimes they believe that she was like, you know, under a state of being drunk gotcha. or under the influence of alcohol. Um, oftentimes she'd have the gun either on her or right very close to her. Um, and it was just no. And she would do it much more frequently than they would expect of anyone else. Um, so it's it's it there's an implication that it was alcoholism. Yeah. And, okay. and so with the being like that, it seems that she died from some something at least happening with her liver that that probably contributed made. I can't say whether it was the direct cause, but, um, you know, he, so now he's left without his his dad is like, you know, a no show dad. His mother dies when he's 15 years old and he's got his uncle who helps support him. And he's he actually is in like a boarding school called um, Pretoria Boys High School. Okay. And there, like I said, there's a lot of people there, like like classmates and students or roommates who don't even know that he like has like like that he's had these amputations of his feet um, because of his participation in sports and things mm -hmm. like that. And he just acts like a normal guy. Mm -hmm. um, and so he he has a rugby injury and he while rehabbing from it, the coach who's helping like at the school who's helping notice like he says in both documentaries. I noted like that he had exceptional leg speed that he would just move his legs very, very quickly. Huh. And, and, you know, and this is like a teenage boy at this point, he's like 17 years old. And so he's like, I could train this guy. And so in January of 2004, he starts training to become a sprinter and a runner. Fun. And 
they first go to like in South Africa, they go to like a couple of people to make him running. They call him blades. Cause, and he it later becomes known as the blade runner because for prosthetic <laughs> legs, they don't look like, like nor like feet and stuff like that. They don't, Yeah, they have like, is it the, does it look like the ones that still, that exist today? Where yeah, it's like, they're very, yeah, they're almost like the, the identical. Little, the the L shaped spring kind of thing. Yes, okay. exactly. And those have been around for like, over 15 years before he ever used something like that. Um, okay. Now it varies person to person based on like their leg length and things like that and their stride length, but they all have the same general shape like you described there. Sure. Um, and so, but the, the ones he was getting in South Africa kept breaking and he ends up getting in contact. His coach contacts, um, his name is Brian Frazier. Um, and he is a known Paralympic Paralympic athlete at that time who also has a, a leg amputation and runs on a blade like that. And in the ESPN documentary, Brian Frazier actually is like he watched video of him and thought, oh, as an athlete, I'm in trouble. Oh, he can really? He can see how, like the potential in him at that point. He's like 17 years old. But he and so he actually said he felt. Like he had mixed feelings about make helping design blades for him. Right. Cause it was hindering his own career. Yes. Cause Brian Frazier is while he's both a Paralympic athlete, he's also like a prosthesis prosthesitist. Um, but Got he it. does agree to make blades for him. Oh, it's so, like, it's basically signing off like your like the chance that you'll never have your own championship yeah, against that guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's definitely put, like, he's definitely giving to someone who is a competitor against yeah. him and he knows it and um so uh so the, he only started running again oscar only started running in january of 2004 he gets these new blades and he qualifies for the olympics in athens in 2004 so like wow like, and i know Quick. you know you live with rj and stuff like that like <laughs> To qualify for, you know, these are the Paralympics, but to do that so quickly is very impressive. Just the fact that he's there. And oh, then, I mean, RJ, RJ's been working at this since, I mean, he just got in at 20, he was 28 when he got in, and he's mm -hmm. been working at it since high school. Mm -hmm. and I, so, I mean, for this guy to just be there is really crazy. Yeah. And so he makes it, and they even show, the ESPN one, they show in his first heat, they shoot the starting gun and he's like either so amped that they can't exactly pinpoint, but he's just like frozen. Everyone else is going <laughs> and he's like just there. He forgets to run. <laughs> and so then he starts running and he makes it to the finals and he, he actually wins gold in the 200 meter in that 2004 Paralympics in Athens. What? Uh, so even he, in the one that he froze in, he like everyone else that, had a yeah. head start and he still got gold. Yeah, that was tech, so. It was the early heat, so like you have like multiple, like you you go step gotcha. by step. In the finals, he doesn't freeze, but he he wins gold in the finals. Wow! And he beats Brian Frazier, um, and another American athlete at the same time. So he wins gold after only training for like six months. <laughs> um, That's insane. That's yeah. Crazy. So he's he's seventeen years old. He wins this Paralympic gold medal. He has braces in all the video. Like he he <laughs> he's wins like still this gold like medal. A young lad. <laughs> yeah. No. Like he's just like a kid still. And so now he comes back to South Africa and he's like kind of a celebrity, you know, because like he like this is 
rarely very impressive. And it's like, yeah. it's just a good story. You know, they have different brackets in the Paralympics based on, again, you know, this is just how it's termed throughout all of it. So like based on the type of disability you have. So he's a double amputee, but there were not enough double amputees for him to run against. So he has to run against mm. the single leg amputees. Um, gotcha. But he wins, you know, he wins that that category. Um, and so almost immediately after that, and he has there's there's video of him. He's like, I want to compete in the Olympics. Like he's yeah. Like the Paralympics, these are amazing athletes. Like, well, I mean, like only six months in, and he's already won gold. He's like, okay, on to the next thing. Like, yeah, you know? yeah, and just, but just to, like, I just want to like, get out there. Like, you know, the Paralympics are not like some lesser Olympics. Like, these are these are all amazing athletes. Like that are overcoming like crazy things. Like, yeah, he's running, and yet he has both of his feet are amputated, and he's out there running, winning gold medals. It's a it, like a hundred years ago, medical marvel. Like it's just the fact yeah. that it could have that that could even be an option. Yeah. And they do these Olympics with every almost every event that happens in the Olympics. So like you, it's amazing what these athletes do, despite you know whatever they have had to overcome in their lives. So like he's all, but he's like, I want to compete against the what they call able-bodied athletes. He's like, okay. He's like, I'm setting these times. And he does throughout the years. Like, it's not that he just wants to compete just be, I don't want to say just be, he didn't try to compete just because he's a double amputee. Right. He wanted to he compete because his times are competitive. Like if sure. he could, he's like, I could like race just as fast as these other people. I want to yeah, be not in give those. it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. And so really from that point, he get he gets an agent and he sets his that's i don't know like like time wise how that happened but he okay. does set his sights he's like i want to be in the 2008 he sets his goal to be in the 2008 beijing olympics and the paralympics wow um and so it as early as 2005 he starts competing in like non disabled um competitions and most of those are in south africa he does eventually get invited to events internationally, and that's how he's able to like potentially qualify for the Olympics if he has times during those races. And so it comes basically the the people who intervene, intervene, maybe not the right word, but the next people he encounters to try and reach this goal of getting to the Olympics is the International Association of Athletic Federations. Um, okay. They are now known as the World Athletics but at the time, that was their name and their abbreviation, IAAF. Okay. Um, and so he goes for testing in November of 2007 at the German Sports University in Cologne. The testing was done by a Dr. Peter Brueggemann and mm. Elio Locatelli. So hopefully I got both those right. Get, get a little Christine good. on the Brueggemann. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You should have just had her just scream from downstairs. That, that one word. <laughs> she's screaming at me saying how wrong I did it. Don't worry. Somewhere <laughs> in the future, she's yelling at me. Um, and so they performed two days of testing in Germany. They'd actually done some testing at some earlier races where like they'd set up cameras. And he actually later was like, I didn't know they set up cameras testing me. So that's like, hmm. eh. Um, I, I basically, I'll tell you, I'm not going to look fondly on the IAAF in this. They, they look pretty sketchy in, in this part of it. So maybe okay. I shouldn't, maybe I'm just like messing it up and like in the storytelling and like now everyone's going to think that they're bad too. But, um, so, oh, well. 
<laughs> exactly. Oops. So they focus their testing. They do this different, like this testing that they decide is needed. Um, and they have a lot of focus on like the fact that his blades lose less energy when he's running. And I'm not going to put the exact quotes. They do have quotes and like put out a report. Um, and they also had a big focus in both the documentaries that they focus on that, like the actual, these two, like one of them is a doctor and then Elio Locatelli is a former speed skater and he oh, works wow. with the, he works with the IAAF at the time he's, he's since passed. Um, but at that time he was like to interpret the rules basically of like based on the testing that was mm. his role. And they, they had a big issue with the fact that, that Oscar. So typically it's so like a 400 meter race is all the way around a track. Okay. Thank you for Mo- telling me that. I literally would have never known that. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't know <laughs> if I hadn't had to run the mile a couple of times. <laughs> uh, so they would focus on the fact most people like most able-bodied runners, as they describe them, run the first 200 faster than they run their second 200. Oh, the first okay. half of a race, most people will run faster than the second half Got it. Uh, in that distance. But Oscar would run the first half technically slower than he would run the second half. He would gain speed as he went. He would like do the, the full sprint to like once everyone else was slowing down. Yeah. And they were they were very concerned that his prosthetic legs constituted cheating of some co- some sort. Oh, they wouldn't my okay. they wouldn't word it that way, but there's really because no other was, way to interpret it. It was like his blades are more aerodynamic than human flesh legs. Yeah. And their their testing said that he was getting more energy return or or alternatively less energy lost every time he took a step. Okay. Um, because of the blades and because they were made from this material and the shape that they were made of versus a, you know, a, a biologic leg. Um, and at the same time, so like you could interpret that in a couple of ways, right? Like you could say like, oh, he runs faster in the second half. That's an advantage. But that, that completely ignores that he's slower in the first half because for a very good reason, he has prosthetic legs and right. can't, has to get up to speed. Right. You know, it, it's not the, it's, it's very, it's just so, it's like they basically, I mean, I don't know. I felt like they focused a lot on the potential advantages while completely ignoring all the disadvantages that are happening right. <laughs> at the same time. And there's yeah. a lot, there had a lot of Paralympic athletes being like, you know, we run on, like, even just having, prosthetic legs puts you at risk for like infections, cuts, wounds, it de- like healing, all these things that happen to your legs because they have because you have to wear prosthetics. Right. And then you know, you take one wrong step on a prosthetic and you're running at full speed, you yeah. fall, you lose the race when you fall. Maybe if you get up and run fast, maybe not, but like it, you know, in terms of Olympic and Paralympic qualifying, you're going to lose if you fall. And I it's have, so much easier to fall. I have, I mean, I, I don't want to like totally speak for him, but I yeah. have one of my uh, neighbors growing up. He, or one of my neighbors growing up is, is married to a Paralympian who mm-hmm. has, he's an amputee who does snowboarding oh, and awesome. I, I follow them on Instagram. And I guess there have been, there's a lot of complications where like, he's still years after his uh, amputation is going back in 
for new surgeries because I guess there's like either cysts will show up or something on his leg or like, yeah, or just like sores. I don't totally understand, but they, like there's, it's an ongoing thing that like, I'm imagining that he has to keep getting his prosthetics refit and all that. So yeah, there's, it's not like there's, there's like bad with the good. It's yeah. I totally get 100- what you mean of like, there's a, it's probably, he's probably breaking even. Yeah. And like, I mean, I was going to save this quote for like after something I was going to say in a little bit, like it, it, it just on face value, you're separating these competitions to Olympics versus Paralympics. And it, it what you're, I mean, my, like the face value that I see on that is that you're creating the Paralympics to give these, to give someone a chance to show exactly what they can do. Because if they, if there was a like they they don't have the same advantages that a Olympic athlete would have to say that, like all like, oh, never mind. That's a that's a competitive advantage. But you're in the this one. Yeah, this bucket is it just doesn't make a lot of sense. It didn't make a lot of sense. But regardless, on January 14th, that's my sister's birthday, um, 2018, the IAAF. <laughs> Uh, ruled that Pistorius's prostheses were ineligible for competition. So oh. this is 2000, January 2008. The Beijing Olympics are the same year, the Summer Olympics. Um, and this quote, which this um, Locatelli, Elio Locatelli, ha- in the ESPN documentary during his interview, it's a long quote, but I really think I have to read it. And oh. I'm going to apologize in advance that I'm going to give like an M UG at the end. Okay. And go on a rant about it because this, okay. th- this quote makes me so mad. Right. There is no doubt he was a true athlete. He trained hard. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Oh, sorry. Before I finish the quote, I mean, he speaks this in Italian, so it's a translator. So okay. maybe something gets mistranslated here. Maybe it's not as infuriating as it's about yeah, to be. Yeah, but I, I mean, they're professional translators, I'm assuming. I guess you should never assume, but I'm going to take it at face value that this quote overall is what he meant. Okay. Um, got it. No doubt about that. He is an athlete that trained. And I'm, I'm going to cut out of the quote again. He trains five to six hours a day and is setting times that people have not set on these same blades that have been around for 15 plus years. Okay. Anyways, back to the same quote, but you also have to think about the reality of the situation and of an outcome that could prove tough to deal with for the entire sports community. Because eventually, we could witness the paradox of people amputating their legs to break a world record. What? It's a paradox, but why not? And but why well, not? Ugh. So, uh, <laughs> what? That's pretty darn ridiculous. So, so but I, do you think people are just going to go chop their legs off to be an Olympian? And also that's so degrading yeah. to actual amputees thinking like, oh, you're only good because you're an amputee, not because you just have fucking skill. Ooh, look at you. You're still. So I'll go. I'll jump forward a little bit. Only because an expert witness in his appeal later, who was he's also a double amputee. He he then became he's like a doctor and an expert in um, biomechanics. Um who's he's a w who's uh he does rock climbing he actually ended up having the amputation due to an accident while rock climbing um, wow and then he said 
So that guy's quote was, how could someone without limbs be an extraordinary athlete? And he, what he was saying though, is that that's so like when he would start rock climbing again after the accident, first people were like, Oh, you're a hero. You're so brave for doing this. And then when he starts getting, when someone starts getting more competitive and their times or whatever scoring system they're dealing with in their sport starts approaching that of abled body athletes, mm-hmm. then people are like, oh, you must be cheating. Which, right. It goes from pity to like weird jealousy or something. Yes. I don't, yes. And it's you, I weird. Mean, you stole the words out of my mouth when you were like, oh, what? People are just going to cut. Like, I mean, that is uh, all right. One, and I think when he said Paradox is in there twice, one, Paradox, yes, it's a villain from like the worst uh, superhero movie ever made. Sorry, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> like, you know, I have great fondness for Ryan Reynolds. I made out with a girl while watching Van Wilder for the first time. Good for you. Um, That's a great movie to make up Yeah. To. I know, you know, hot tea right there because, you know, the, the hey. London Fog Society, you guys will have that dirt. For for law, I'll, you know, I wish I could say it was Christine. Tuesday. But yeah, you guys will know like more about my sexual history than Christine for, you know, <laughs> a little bit of time. Um, I, I don't think Christine would want to make out to Van Wilder, though, to be fair. I think it would have to be Ghost Adventures. No, <laughs> oh, damn. Yeah, you're right there. You know, you know she's much that, more of a Zach Bagans uh, kind she of loves girl. Than Ryan tattoos. Reynolds. Does Ryan I, Reynolds have tattoos? Who knows? No, Probably. he's a pretty boy. He's got his little his clean get up. Zach That's is the bad true. boy. I hate to break it to you, but Christine loves a bad Wait boy. Wait a minute. All right, we got to call it Zach the bad boy to Ryan Reynolds. Like he's Deadpool. Like yeah, but okay. Here's he curses the thing. They're, in a movie. They're, they're exact inverses <laughs> of each other because Zach wants to look bad and probably isn't. Zach and, wants to be Ryan. And Ryan, like, I don't know if he wants to look good, but everyone knows on the inside he's a bad boy. They're like they're flip flopped. Mm. Yeah. This is this is a this is a that is a paradox. So That's a paradox, paradox <laughs> is when two seemingly con- completely contradictory things or two things that can't seem like they can coexist do. Yeah. What's not a paradox and what is I'm going to call it a straw man argument. Uh-huh. I should have really looked up the definition of that to like sure like that I'm <laughs> getting that nailed. But no, but like you just call if, it bullshit. It's just bullshit. I mean, yeah. That's what I wrote. <laughs> bullshit rant. Um, is that, yo, if someone cuts off their legs and then says, I'm doing this, or even it appears to be doing it to break a world record. Yeah. You can go tell that person to fuck off and they can't race in the Olympics or the Paralympics, but Mm -hmm. that is not what this case was, nor any case of a Paralympic athlete known to man. You see this. I mean, I'm sorry if I'm going to do a COVID rant. You see this a shitload on Twitter about masks and COVID. Like, oh, if we have to wear masks now, then I'm going to have to wear masks in my house or in my car. And it's like, I mean, that's the <laughs> lowest of like what I'm talking. It's just like straw man arguments are stupid. And also, that's what this is. I mean, just because I'm someone who likes to make things about myself, I could find a way to also like – I won't compare it on the same 
they're not really in the same category except in terms of ridiculousness of hearing like whether or not trans people should be able to compete in their preferred sport or Yo, their I'm so know. glad you said it because I was gonna say it too. It's like there are parallels here in the real like obviously this is real world, but there's parallels throughout sports life, like the target bathroom issue. Yeah. Oh, someone's gonna dress up like a woman and watch and my son s- pee. Like Yeah, it's like if if you're worried about if By the that way. happens, that person gets in trouble. Yeah. But you, it's like, what is the preemptive? It's just also, the, like, fun fact, if you're worried about men dressing up as women so they can pretend to be women and then assault people, you're worried about rapists, not yeah, trans people. So that, shut the fuck up. Like, like yeah, you're like me? actually define what you're worried about. Yeah. And I don't know what. Locatelli Sorry, was I turned worried this in, about. I turned this into the wrong no, conversation. No, you did You okay. straight up didn't because I was going to say the same things. Okay, because okay, it, cool. they, they, This does have, like, this is a thought. Like, straw man arguments do persist in so many things in our world. Sorry for the soapbox, everyone. But, like, Look, you just, came to the right place see, for a soapbox on If uh, you hear an argument that's this stupid and it's similar, it's it's but it's in a different situation, just think, like, wow, that's really stupid. <laughs> this person just has an agenda because that's all I'm getting out of this is that like, if this is your argument that someone is going to cut off their legs to break a world record, you're, you're full of it because it. it hasn't happened. It won't happen. If it does, you can penalize them. Like, yeah. what? Do you, like you Oscar, can also send that person to a mental hospital. They need a therapist. Yeah, there's, like, there's so many options if it happens, but maybe wait for it to happen. Like, right. Like, just, and he literally said it. at the end of that quote, he said, like, uh, it hasn't something like, oh, it hasn't. It's happened a before, paradox. But, but why but not? Why not? It's like, oh, so I, this, I can tell you this, a lot of reasons why not. <laughs> <laughs> for him to be saying like oh well it has it's not even an actual fear but let's call it an actual fear so my argument is valid and it yes. takes the ability away from everyone no that is a hundred percent right and if you want to just like cave to the argument fine but anyways i do have good news in that you know he did take it to arbitration with the court of arbitration for sport uh, uh cas they also had a two-day hearing um, just briefly in the ESPN documentary, the German doctor gets back on there and says, I did not understand. He's, I'm doing a English, like a German English accent, but he said it in German. So there's subtitle. It's not, I'm being <laughs> okay. anyways. He says that like, I didn't understand the vitriol from like, they were fuming at the mouth. These American, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. people giving testimony. And it's like, no dude, your argument is just stupid. Um, yeah. And, but the arbitrator does reverse the decision and they revoke IA, the IAAF's decision immediately. They say that it is OK for him to run on these blades. Good. But so, okay. so this is part of the story of, of Oscar, though, is that he really he's an inspiration for people like amputees or Paralympic anyone who could potentially be in this realm. He's an inspiration in the ESPN documentary. There is a straight up adorable photo of he befriended so this icelandic woman gave birth to a child who had a very similar disability i don't think it was the same one but the child also ended up with like an amputation of his feet and oscar so his the company that makes his blades oser um Mm -hmm. i might be pronouncing it wrong o-s-s-u-r they make they're an icelandic company and so he's going to iceland pretty frequently to like 
you know, work on his blades and to like, he gets sponsored by them. So he's there and he meets this family and they like befriend him. He's like very friendly with the family. Um, and he meets the, the kid at, there's one point where the white or the mother asks, like, Hey, do you think you could take your prosthetics off so he could see like, cause the oh, kid yeah. is kids okay. only like, he's like between a year to two years old. Right. And Oscar, who is this like, you know, he's this like over six foot tall athlete. And like, the, like this kid loves him. Like, mm. I mean, I mean, love might not, but this kid like definitely is like fond of him. Yeah. And he sees him take off his prosthetics and there's the photo of the kid looking and then like Aww. just smiling. Like it, it's adorable and incredible. And like, so he's an inspiration for people around the world. Sure. Straight up. Yeah. And there's no other way around that. And so, um, but he's not, so he's not able to qualify for the 2008 Beijing Olympics. Cause like this arbitration happened in between January and then the summer Olympics. So like he really didn't have enough time to train for the Beijing Olympics. Now there was, I mean, there, it also could just be that he didn't actually have the right times to qualify. Yeah. And he was, but so he doesn't qualify. He does compete in the Paralympics though, in Beijing and wins the 100 meter, the 200 meter, the 400 meter, which is like the trifecta Whoa. of sprinter races. So the 100 right. meter, uh, the winner of that race is the fastest man alive. Um, the 200 meter is like in between the one and four, obviously. But, um, you know, for a runner, a sprinter to win all three of those races is really incredible. Like, that's a big deal. Like Usain Bolt like Whoa. does that type of shit. Like that's, you know, that's a that's an, a, like a athletic feat to win those three sprinting races. Wow. I feel like kind of shitty that I had never heard of this person before. You're really, <laughs> really like hyping this person up. All I the mean, way that's through. 2008. That's when I graduated high school, not to like pinpoint things, but so like, <laughs> it, you know, if you're not into sport, it's not that, you know, it's not that out of the realm. Um, but so, you know, Fast forward in time, you know, stuff does happen in the next 40 years, but I don't think of much like enough for this podcast. Um, but he does qualify for the 2012 Summer Olympics. So not the Paralympics. These are the Olympics in London. Wow. He, he qualifies okay, so he for got, the, So he got what yeah, he wanted. He, yeah, he made he okay. he accomplished his goal of qualifying for the Olympics and he competes in the Paralympics, too. So he's in London for this whole month. They usually the Paralympics. Wow. They always happen in the same city, um, usually the two weeks after the Olympics. So gotcha. he's going to be in London for like a month um, versus most athletes there for two weeks. Um, and so, you know, he makes it to the semifinals. He comes in second in his first heat. Um, and they show like they have video in both these documentaries, like the cra like the stadiums are full and people are like chanting his name when he's announced. Wow. Um, he comes in second in that first heat. Um, in the second, the semifinals, he doesn't qualify for the finals, but like the guy who wins the race ch exchanges name tags with him, which wow. is like, you know, exchanging jerseys and soccer. And so like, he's, it's a big deal. People are going nuts. Like it's like the crowds are huge. And then the Paralympics have the biggest crowds ever by far when for him, like they have a sold out stadium when he's racing, which has never happened Whoa. before. And so um, you know, these are record crowds. He ends up winning gold in the four by 100 meter relay at those 2012 Olympics, um, or Paralympics, sorry. Um, and then 
in the he gets silver medal though in the uh 200 meter race so halfway around the track and he mm. gets silver medal to the gold medalist alan Oliveira. um and right after the race his coach in one of the documentaries talks about he was like i knew something was gonna happen and he tried to get to him first but you know they're in the stands and right. he's on the track and he it's it it's bad. He gives a quote saying that he's concerned about Oliveira's the length of his blades. Um, oh. and he thinks that he's cheating essentially by the length of his blades. He thinks okay. that he's he's getting a stride length advantage based on the side of his, the size of his blades versus Oscars. I feel like I don't know enough about the science behind the blades, but I would feel like there's like in a in a an Olympic regulated blade everyone has to wear. So everyone's equal, but is that not really how it works? Cause you have to have, you said yeah. stride length and height and all that. They can't really do that in the Paralympics. Cause not everyone has the same legs. Does right. That or the sense? same needs. Yeah. 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 So it's okay. That's true. It is a tough call. I mean, he, to be fair to like in Oscars, Pistorius's like teams argument, they had filed petitions like months before saying that they weren't, they were suspicious of the length of the blades that Oliveira was using. Mm. Um, it, but at the same time, it was definitely the wrong time. And he actually came out later and said, like apologized for the timing of his comments. Oh, Cause wow. like the guy just won gold medal Ian, he's shitting on it. Mm-hmm. And his whole, like not his whole, it's not his whole persona. He's a very complex person and you know, got a lot, but like it's just, it's really not, in the competitive nature to like immediately be like, Oh, he cheated. Um, and it, especially for that reason, but he, he actually never apologized for saying that he cheated. He only apologizes for the timing of his comments. Oh, um, but he does get a silver medal in that 200 meter event. But at the same time, so like these are the, so he's, he competes in the Olympics in 2012. He competes in the Paralympics and he is at like peak fame at this point. Um, he's named Time Magazine's one of their 100 most influential people. There's I already mentioned like that stuff with like the Icelandic boy. And so, but it, there's so many people around the world who like aspire to be Oscar or like just are like inspired by his his story. He's named GQ South Africa's like sexiest man alive. Um <laughs> He has a, a number of sponsors. He has a $2 million sponsorship with Oser, who makes his blades, but he's also wow. sponsored by Nike and Oakley or like big names that everyone knows. And, you know, he attends the South African sports awards ceremony with a Riva Stenkamp. So Riva Stenkamp is, she was born in England. Um, her family then moves to Port Elizabeth, South Africa. They're like, middle middle income there um but she ends up graduating with a law degree but you know she's really beautiful she works as a model yeah um she was on television she did a whole bunch of tv commercials in south africa and 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 they're dating now yes they're dating now he's Um, got made in the shade yeah she's on this (laughs) bbc lifestyle show called baking made easy so you know she's beautiful and she can bake Um, I mean, ding, ding, ding. And she tapes three episodes of a TV show called Tropica Island of Treasure. Um, And the series is 
set to air on February 16th, 2013. Okay. And so then this is where Oscar Pistorius, we go back to like, oh, murder. Like why we're on this podcast. Oh, right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. For some reason, I thought I, I was very um, happy thinking that the crime was just that like the... Uh, the, the AAAF almost. Yeah, just me something. talking about random sports agencies and arbitrators and federations. I, I yeah, this whole time I I forgot that we were on a crime show. Okay. I well, wish. And thank you for now, making me feel safe up until now, please. Now so. I take my Christine turn on everything. <laughs> um and so this and so the the crime aspect of this all really boils down to Valentine's Day of twenty thirteen. And okay. so the reason why I mentioned the date of her show airing on February 16th is it ends up being two days after this. Ooh, um, okay. So very early in the morning on February 14th of 2013, and these are like undisputed facts, Riva is shot and killed by Oscar at <gasps> his home in Pretoria, South Africa. And wow. so she is shot. Uh, it's actually, it was kind of, some sources said four times, some said three but it is known that Oscar fired the gun four times. That is okay. like taken as fact. Okay. And so he's taken into custody. Like a news story part of this, it spread so fast. Like, well, sure. They, they showed all the stuff like it internationally. It was like, it was on the today show in the U S that morning, which I should have looked up which way the globe goes in terms of timing wise. But mm. like Matt Lauer is talking about this, like, the same day that it happens. Wow. Um, and so there's a lot. Like, so because of that, so like, uh, they have the journalist who sent the first tweet about it. Like he was contacted by a, by like, I don't want to say informant, but someone who knew what was going on, like through the police or something like that. Yeah. And so he showed up and tweets about it. And then there was like, a, like a lot of rumors started very quickly. There was a story that was played that she was sneaking into the apartment because it was Valentine's Day. She was going to surprise oh. him by being there. And then he just like out of defense, like, yeah. shot her. OK, yeah. And her like her aunt is interviewed in a lot of these documentaries. And she's like she didn't find out about it until hearing about it on the radio. <gasps> and she actually talks about how hearing that story about her sneaking in, she's like, Oh, that does sound like something Riva would have done. Oh. Um, and so there was a bit, there was also other thing. There was a steroid rumor, which I will get into a little bit more too. Um, okay. there, so like a ton of like it from the go, there's rumors and tabloids like stuff happening from the get go on this because okay. of, because of who he is. Really, for sure. The most part. I mean, because if Usain Bolt or some other like very yeah. well-known Olympian did this, of course it would be all over the news immediately. Yeah, and that's exact. I mean, that definitely plays a role. So the the shooting is is said at very early morning, around three a.m. in the morning, is like the initial stories, and then a police representative gives a press conference at around seven a.m. that morning. And I maybe shouldn't say seven a.m. because I didn't write down the exact time, but. You know, Sun had come morning. out. They're giving this morning report. And this is like the first official statement that people are getting about this. Mm. Um, and they do say that, you know, that Riva Stenkamp is deceased. 
um, that Oscar Pistorius, they're taking him into custody for questioning. And I, you know, at the end of her comments, she goes, you know, there have been multiple, I'm not, this is not a quote, but she, she ends it by saying there's been, um, they've been called to the house for complaints of domestic nature previously. Oh, okay. So then the news cycle gets all, gets on that. Um, sure. And the lead detective is, his name is Hilton Botha. Um, and, you know, just a, you know, he is, he was also the lead detective for what that representative talked about with the previous domestic complaints. Mm. And this part, one documentary really played into this, the other not so much. Okay. Um, but I think, you know, I, the one that played it, it made a lot of sense. <laughs> um, this scene was not handled well. So there's some similarities between South Africa and the U.S. Just listen to the uh, the uh, Burger Chef murders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, not quite that bad. Okay. Pretty effing close. Oh, um, okay. Multiple police organizations respond to this in terms of like that. There's the like there's the municipal police and then. And I forget the exact names, but like the national police force is also there because he's like this. like, And so they, they estimated 70 plus people were on the scene that day, which is Whoa. like not good. You want as few people as possible. You want some like as like just as many as you need assigned to taking photos, gathering the, evidence, the less the less hands, the less potential for damaging evidence. Yeah, you've heard over 200 of these stories. You get it. Like <laughs> I get mad every time, Blaze. You don't they, understand. <laughs> yeah. And you're probably going to get mad at some of these parts. So <laughs> among the evidence that they gather, you know, they recover the gun that was used. They recover a cricket bat. They get two cell phones, one from Riva, one from that is Oscar's phone. Okay. Um, there's also a wrapped kitchen present in the kitchen or excuse, Christmas Valentine's Day. Cause this was sure. Like, this right. happened early morning. Valentine's there's right. a, there's a present wrapped and with a letter on top. Um, they gather that they also take the entire, I guess I didn't tell this part yet. So Riva, they, they, the, the house that had a, so there's the bedroom hallway bathroom but then there's a separate door for the toilet area okay and there's that door was locked oh they, they take the whole door off the hinges and take it with them for um, evidence okay yeah feels like it kind of feels like you Feels, feels like the evidence was already there by it being locked and hinged. Yeah, feels very <laughs> unnecessary, and the defense will tell you, yeah, that was unnecessary to take yeah. down the whole. And I'll just skip to it because I'll forget later. They not only took the whole door, they bring it back, and uh, what? they try to reset it up, God. and and like take photos, like there's and like there's video of them doing it, and it breaks while they're doing it. Um. It's just bad police work. I am not a police officer. My so, like, grandfather they were like, is a okay, police well, officer. So, I like, get it. It's a hard job. Uh, but it still makes no sense, especially when they were like, okay, now bring it back. Put it as it was. Or yep. I imagine they were like, oh, let's reset up so we can 
see how it might have planned out. I feel like all that should have happened first. Or yeah, or a, dust for fingerprints. Yeah, or they have a they act an actual like forensic scientist specialist who says there's nothing they tested at the facility that they couldn't have done there. So they fuck up the scene. End of story. Mm-hmm. It ends up that Oscar is charged with premeditated murder. Wow. Which is like the highest degree of murder that you could charge someone with in South Africa. It's like Oof. murder one in the U.S. Wow. Um, I really I was really hoping that it was a situation where she tried sneaking in and then based on you know, his history of break-ins when he was a kid, he just like was trigger happy and thought he was hurting an invader. I don't know. I was hoping it was not premeditated. And so South Africa does not have a jury system, no grand jury, nothing. And that's, that's basically stems from the apartheid era, uh, where, uh, if they, they could have either had all white juries, which the Mm. black South Africans would have, they were not cool with that at all. And Mm -hmm. very reasonably, but, If you were to have a jury system in South Africa during apartheid, it would have meant that you were acknowledging that black people had the. I don't, there's definitely no right word for this because they're the ones in the wrong uh, of the wherewithal or the, right. you know, the wherewithal to be on a jury. Mm-hmm. Um, so then they would not acknowledge that okay. at, during apartheid. So it, it's a jury system only. A judge decides cases in South Africa. Okay, you know, really, the the prosecutor's story is that, like, they say at that time, based on the testimony of Hilton Bath, again, that lead detective um, and the lead prosecutor's name is Jerry Nell. And their story, their claim is that uh, Oscar put on his prosthetic legs, walked to the bathroom and intentionally shot Riva through the door. What? Um, based oh. on based on testimony from neighbors that they heard an argument going on throughout the night and right before. And then they heard women's screams. Mm. Um, and Botha, during his testimony, talks about how there were steroids in the house. And he doesn't say directly that it's roid rage, but he's like, there are steroids. He's very clear about that. And there's yeah. need. I guess I sh- sorry. I keep backtracking. Maybe you could delete some of this. But, um, you know, it, it's he says, though, that there are steroids that they found in that house. Sure. Um, the defense attorney, Barry Rue, does not take kindly to Hilton Botha. Um, he gets Hilton gets ripped apart. Um, one, let's just start with the best part, uh, and then go from there. Hilton is also convicted or is on like not on trial, but he is a current murder. Like he's been accused of murder while he's investigating. I guess while is not the right word. He is accused of murder from 2011 for attempted murder for drunkenly shooting at a taxi with seven passengers in it. <laughs> and okay. Barry Rue just like, okay. is like, wait, so you're the lead detective on this murder trial uh-huh. and you, it te- and so technically 10 days before the trial, Hilton Botha was dismissed from this attempted <laughs> murder trial and wow. reinstated to the police force. Wow. Uh, and in Hilton Botha's, in his interview in the Amazon documentary goes, if those people, I, this is not a direct quote, but he says, if those people wanted to be dead, if I wanted those people dead, they would be dead. Uh, 
Ooh. <laughs> okay, so, that's not helping. <laughs> so this kind of goes back to, and I guess I didn't say the word corruption in that first part where like South Africa has a big problem with like with crime mm-hmm. and violent crime and domestic violence. But corruption is a big deal in South Africa. At the same time that this Oscar Pistorius trial was going on, the president of South Africa was on trial for corruption. Uh-huh. Um, and, okay. like, and and the wow. and Jerry Nell, the lead prosecutor for against um, like the lead prosecutor bringing the case against Oscar Pistorius, he had already done a trial against the police commissioner in South Africa for corruption. So there's not. It's not a good look, and they did such a bad job at the scene. Barry Rue also does a really, you know, it's not hard, but he, like, eviscerates Hilton Botha about, you know, why was the scene handled so poorly? Like, right. Hilton Botha has quotes saying that, like, the neighbor, one of the neighbors he quoting lived, like, this close to the house, like, really close to the house, and then it turns out she lived really far from the house. Okay, so, like, he... He just seems like all around uh, a little yeah. bit of the problem. <laughs> yeah, he's a huge problem. Yeah. And they actually f- like fire him. Like, I mean, he resigns three, yeah. like two days later from the police force. Um, and I tried so hard to look up if he like what happened with his attempted murder trial. It's nowhere on the first two pages of Google. Wow. <laughs> and I didn't check Yahoo, my most reliable source, but <laughs> well, everyone would have laughed at you. So it's fine. <laughs> See, exactly. But so it's just, it's it's not a good look for the defense or for the prosecutors. But uh, so that so basically with that, though, the judge rules that, yeah, Oscar Pissarra is it. So that was actually one last thing before I move on from this from the bail hearings, because he's accused of murder he has a high burden of proof to get bail. Otherwise they're going to put him in jail until the trial. So, um, in the ESPN documentary specifically, one of the legal experts says it was a bad decision from his legal team to let him do this. But Oscar Pistorius ends up getting a very detailed description of what he thinks happened that night, like his account. And it gives their reasoning for why it was a bad move is it gives the prosecutors plenty of time to find holes in it and find a reason why he's guilty. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, if you to get bail, this was necessary and you're only in the wrong if you're lying. You know, if you can tell the truth and get through it, it's not going to be a problem. So the general theme these are not quotes from anything mm-hmm. there. All of this ended up being on TV. So okay. these are not quotes, but the general bullet points that I have, and I'm sorry, this episode is going so long. I guess fans like it when it's Christine and you, they might not like it. If it's <laughs> honestly, this you. is the only time they'll ever get blazed. So I feel like this is like a special, it's like when, when Disney would have those crossover events or something. And uh, it was you like, never know. April Fool's it was the might episode. come again. <laughs> it, honestly, if you two have another baby, I'm sure there will be high demand for Fans, another Blaze episode. That was my idea, by the way. I came up with the idea of the April Fool's episode, which I've been told was liked fondly um, yes. or had good reviews. I don't listen to my own voice, so I <laughs> will never listen to that episode or read the comments. It was <laughs> but, it was 100% your... I We got to give you credit for that April Fool's episode where you and Zandy and everyone came on, so... 
Perfect. Genius. And it was my favorite episode because we got to just watch Bob's Burgers downstairs, <laughs> which is what you usually do when we record. So. That's what Christine's doing downstairs right now. Yeah. <laughs> so here's Oscar's account of what happened that night. So again, these are not quotes. Go look it up if you want the real quotes. Around 10 p.m., he goes to bed without his prosthetics. They have these. They have a balcony that with like sliding doors, and there are fans there. He has a bad reaction to air conditioning they use the fans to bring cold air in he also talks about how he can't sleep without like total darkness okay um and so he he recalls waking up or in the early morning to move the fans and close the door and he places his these jeans that are in the room over a light on an amplifier um like it's like a you know the time like a green light that's going in the room so he moves these fans um, also, uh, just to set the scene a little bit. So the bed, he's sitting on the far side from the window and the fans. She's closer to it. Okay. Um, and he's closer to the bathroom, but she's farther from the bathroom. Got it. But so he says he gets up uh, without his prosthesis. So he's walking on his stumps, moves the fans, puts this these jeans over the light. And then he hears a noise from the bathroom down the hall. Oh, okay. He retrieves his gun. He tells Reva to call the police, but he doesn't wait for a response from her. He goes to the bathroom again on his stumps, yelling at the intruder to get out of the house. He sees that the bathroom window is open, but that the toilet door is closed. He hears a noise coming from inside the toilet room. Mm-hmm. And with that noise, he fires four shots into the door. Okay. He walks backwards down the hallway into the bedroom, feeling behind him for Reva and realizes she's not in the bed. Okay, I see now. It then dawns on him that Reva could have been in the bathroom. He goes back on his stumps. He tries to open the door, but it's locked. So he goes yep. back to the bedroom. It goes out on the balcony and screams for help. Yeah. He then puts his prosthetic legs back on. And not back. He puts them on and he gets a cricket bat that he keeps by the bed for defense purposes. Mm-hmm. And he breaks down a panel on the door. And okay. when he breaks it down after three to four hits with the cricket bat, he sees that it's Reva in there. <sighs> covered in blood and she's still breathing at that time. And he carries her downstairs and, you know, she, she passes away, you know, in the, in the house there. Okay. And, you know, there are some more details. And again, these are not the quotes from Oscar. This is just the general timeline that he lays out Mm -hmm. in his affidavit. And he is granted bail because he's given this, this account the prosecutor's case while they they could definitely say it's not like even oscar says that he shot her right yeah it's just at this point the whole case comes about intent right right yeah i mean it's that's a pretty to me without knowing any more information i feel like that's a pretty believable solid side of the story on on first listen 
that's exactly what the judge says that this is a but this is a reasonable potential explanation yeah and you so you can get bail and I, they don't deem him a flight risk um which is like some people find that controversial but you know ultimately of no consequence because he doesn't flight do anything okay <laughs> <laughs> um and so and he he never goes back to that house he goes immediately to his uncle arnold's house this is his uncle who would help provide for him you sure. know as a, a kid a, yeah and that's where he stays for the next year um hmm. so now it's like you know they're you know the the media coverage is again insane like it's it had it does, yeah it, it never actually stops. It seems like, I mean, there's, you know, it, it goes, it, the trial doesn't start again until March of 2014, but you know, this was in February of 2013. So it's about a year until the actual trial starts. But you know, this bail hearing was just supposed to be, you know, procedural and it had all this news coverage and, a, you know, the lead detective gets fired because of his shitty ass testimony. And, and he's just, doesn't i mean for good reason but like the whole like like when i looked on google to try and find what happened with hilton Botha's like attempted murder trial thing mm -hmm. all the stories are from 2013 still about how bad he was like it's like i mean those first two pages are only articles about how shitty he was and how he fucked up the state's case just from the get-go wow um so and people are going crazy over it. There's this steroid allegation they found. Turns out they were not steroids. Um, okay, I was gonna that, say, couldn't you just test his blood and see if he had any in his system? Maybe. I mean, it's that's like a. I maybe, but if they were like actual steroids, you could just say he had steroids in his. They weren't steroids. They just okay. weren't. Um, and you know, they mentioned that the previous domestic incidents. This comes out in the trial. They're really just referring to a 2009 incident that happened at his house where people were there drinking. Um, a female who was there was drunk. They thought okay. she was too drunk and causing like a scene or something like that. They removed her from the house. It's it's questionable whether she banged on the door and caused a panel to fall off or it was because Oscar slammed the door and a panel fell off, but a panel from the door fell and hit her leg and okay. just caused some like minor scratches. But they're using that as, Oh, the panel was already fallen off. Ba well, I mean, basically the police came a few days later. She filed a police report. I'm not trying to dismiss anyone's story, but like whatever happened, even her story is that he slammed the door and it fell off. His story is she banged on the door and it fell off. Regardless, he didn't initiate the contact. Like, at the worst, it's an a he slammed the door too hard. Um, I'm not trying to like paint him in like this beautiful light or anything, but it, for the the police representative at that first incident, like when that when this like actual like someone was shot and killed, yeah. to say there were domestic incidents this home was like an exaggeration. And uh, guess who was the lead detective when he was <laughs> from that 2009 incident? Uh, yeah, it was Hilton. Hilton? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It was Hilton. So, you know, you know, Mad Men Hilton's a douchebag. This guy's clearly a douchebag. <laughs> um, so it's just not good for the state's case at all. Uh, but 
it's but it's like so much tabloid energy like mm-hmm. and there's so many stories <laughs> like there, that story that she was sneaking in it was never a thing no one ever said that so it was just conjecture and they so in south africa they actually created a 24 7 tv channel called the oscar pistorius trial channel oh my god shut up that's so cool yeah. well His... you know what i mean that's like <laughs> That's like pretty monumental. I mean, he's their OJ. I yeah, mean, that's yeah. just what it comes down to is it's sports and like all this stuff coming together. And, you know, she's yeah. a model and on TV and it really is their OJ. I'm sure there's, yeah. you know, maybe the lawyers, you know, daughters later had a massive reality show or something. Mm-hmm. Kardashians. Well, like his ex-girlfriend, I'll bring this up. She she's um, brought up by the prosecutor's. She writes a book um, and the, his ex-girlfriend's book is called It Could Have Been Me. Um, it's mm. this stuff is just sensationalized to like and it, it probably felt more so in South Africa where they have this 24 seven channel. But it's not like people were like it's not like the channel was there and no one was watching it. The like lead journalists who like led the discussions on the channel. So they would during the trial, they'd show the trial both the defense and the prosecutor said they did not want it to be on TV, but the judge oh. decided it could be taped live, um, huh. which I found interesting. Yeah. It was only mentioned in the ESPN documentary and I found that interesting, but there they, so all the journalists that got interviewed were like, yeah, this should be on TV because then it shows, you know, how the legal system works and that people can trust it which yeah. I get it, but of course they have motive behind that, like underneath of that. Yeah. Um, so, but it ended up on TV. So they would show the live trial and then at like 6 PM, they would bring on these experts to like discuss what happened. And it was getting double the ratings of everything else on satellite TV in South Africa. So, it's like it sucks that it's about something so horrible because you kind of want to pat them on the yeah. back and be like, look at what you're capable of. But it's like, Ugh, you know, it's only yeah. because you killed somebody. Yeah. So it's not great. But, you know, people were invested in this and sure. there was definitely sides taken. I don't even want to get into some of the stuff that I saw about. But like people <laughs> had opinions like straight up. Uh, they just did. They just had opinions about what whether he was guilty or not guilty from the were there, get-go. Were there also like conspiracy theories about like what actually happened? Like I feel oh, like yeah. with with OJ, there's always these like pocket theories. So I I yeah. imagine it's the same over there. <sighs> yeah, I mean I guess it's less so now because like if you don't think OJ did it, I don't know what you you know <laughs> you're not in a rational realm. Um, but like yeah, I mean like the steroid stuff, like it, it's it's. You know, it's hard because like there was definitely things that got put out there that just ended up being so fake. Mm. Um, There was even a scene of Trump at the end of this trial who where Trump is like, he's only they're not putting him in jail. This is like crazy. And it's like and this is 20, 2013, 2014. So Trump wasn't president. president. This is pre Trump. Yeah, where he his voice should have mattered and he's ranting about it. So go figure. Um, I know. So, God, I hate him so much. <laughs> <sighs> Anyways, so the trial starts on March 3rd, 2014. 
So the judge, I wish I hadn't drank before I said it, is Thokalizi Masipia. Um, huh. And she's a she's a black woman, mm-hmm. which is a big deal in South Africa. She was the second black woman ever to be appointed a judge in South Africa. Again, oh, no wow. jury. Um, she was a journalist during apartheid. And, you know, you know, so she's very well respected and, and respected for being like. Not, I don't want to say correct in her judgments, but like that she just that she was she was well respected amongst her peers and in like the country as a whole. Gotcha. And so the first people that prosecutors call is like neighbors. Now, the first neighbor they call based on the documentaries and the order they presented things. So I can't be 100 percent sure this is the actual order. But like both showed the first person as this woman who lived 177 meters away, which is 580 Hmm. feet. Okay. And they showed on a map. Her house is pretty far from his house. And just to set the scene again, a lot of break ins in South Africa, a lot of like, you know, a lot of uh, violent crime. He lived in a gated community where you had to come through the gate with multiple security and then there were like really pretty big walls with cameras everywhere this is where you would live in south africa if you had the resources to live there sure um and so but this so she lives you know 580 feet away and her testimony is that she heard a female screaming she was very specific that she didn't think it could i mean Again, these are not quotes, but the 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 way the prosecutors got everything out of her was that it she heard female screaming, then she calls security, and then she heard gunshots. Wow, that's the testimony that this neighbor gives. Then they call up another neighbor who lives much closer, but still not the immediate houses like right next to where Oscar Pistorius lived. Mm-hmm. And he testifies hearing three bangs, then a female screaming. And okay. he went to the house. So he's a radiologist, which means he looks at x-rays and CT scans, MRIs. So like that, but he's still medically trained. And he said he comes to the house and he offers his help. And Oscar, he sees Oscar there with Reva, like Reva's been shot. He Oscar has walked her down the stairs and he's Oscar stated to him. I shot her. I thought she was a burglar. Oh, okay. Now the defense and I'll bring, I meant to bring this up later, but I'll just do it. The defense is like, we don't think that it was a female screaming here. We think you heard Oscar screaming. Oh, okay. And that the three bangs he heard were the cricket bat on the door. Oh, okay. And Barry Rue, the defense attorney, like became famous in South Africa. He was already like a major defense attorney, but he became like T-shirt famous. Like people wore T. He would he would say to people, "I will put it to you." That was like his way of like prompting questions. Yeah, people were just wearing those T-shirts around. I will put it to you. Yeah, so he became his own celebrity at this point. Oh, okay. And then this one was so like one, the ESPN documentary ignored. Like I can't put it any other way. They ignored that his car or Oscar's ex-girlfriend, Samantha Taylor 
testified from for the prosecution. Okay. And she was interviewed in the ESPN documentary pretty extensively. Like she's featured a lot in the interviews. This was the sorry. Who is this again? Her name is Samantha Taylor. I haven't mentioned her before, so you okay. just shouldn't. And she's Oscar's ex-girlfriend. Okay, so like they're ta- they're looking to her for any like history of domestic violence or yeah, something. Yeah, you're a hundred. You're on it. So <laughs> well, you you, you know. sniffed it out. <laughs> That's um, me. The old, the old sniffer. <laughs> <laughs> and but she's not interviewed in the Amazon documentary where they show parts of her testimony. Um. Now she know like she describes that she would have arguments with Oscar. She described like they at one point they question her like when did you break up and she goes well, well the first time or second time and, and you know implying that they broke up multiple times they were like on and on, on again off again but what isn't really disputed because she describes this in the ESPN documentary is that while when Oscar got that silver medal in London for the 200 meter race where he then complained about the, the other or Olivera's length of his blades. Yeah. Uh, she didn't go to London. Oscar's like grandmother went to London. All oh. these other people, she was his girlfriend at the time, but didn't go to London with him. She was, um, questionably involved with a billionaire, Quentin Vanderberg, who is like, I mean, straight up billionaire, South African, like TV producer. Wow. Okay. Who was taking her on like vacations to like different islands and things like that. So, so she was somewhere else. Yeah. And she was like, it was a little, it was not made very clear, but clearly there was relationship strife going on. And she, I think I believe it that Oscar didn't want to go out to accept his silver medal. Cause he was too, he was like having relationship arguments with her on the phone and she had Got to it. convince a crying Oscar Pistorius to go and take like to accept his silver medal. Wow. Um, so there's like relationship drama happening in this. Sounds like and, something I want to know more about. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> like juicy. this is the tea section here. Yeah. This is the London <laughs> fog society. Yeah. <laughs> so he comes back from the 2020 or the 2012 Olympics and Paralympics, and they decide to get back together. Mm. But, and so Oscar Pistorius, you know, he's very famous. He, he does all these different activities. You know, one of the things that he likes is fast cars. Mm. He goes to this racetrack and this is where she testifies that while at the racetrack, he gets an, Quentin Vanderberg is there. The billionaire guy who Oscar, like she was like, with potentially while Oscar was at the Olympics and Paralympics and Oscar gets in a verbal argument with him Hmm. and Vanderberg. There's also a ex South African soccer player there named Mark bachelor who he's an ex soccer player for like the South Africa for South Africa. And, but he's also now like a gangster straight up. What? He, He doesn't, he doesn't seem to hide it at all. That he is like in the underground of South Africa and like a gangster. And so Vanderberg is friends with this guy. Even Samantha later in interviews says that like Batcher was like a protector for her. Um, Okay. Also, it's a fact that she was like 17 when her and Oscar started dating. Um, 
Oh, okay. And I don't know what age she was when she started having these extra relationship things with Quentin Vanderberg, but she's young, younger mm-hmm. than both of these men. And then this Mark Bachelor guy who's much older is like her protector. Okay. Um, like it slash how is he that? I don't yeah, know. Where is she finding all these relationships? Like, um, yeah, it's weird that they're also all kind of showing up in the same spaces. Yeah, it's very, you know, yeah, you're it's very tea society stuff here. And this I, is in the trial. This should be a television show. Yeah. I know there's documentaries on it, but this feels like there's multi parts to it like that you could dive into each part on its own episode yes and that's why these are multiple four-part documentaries Mm. and i watched them all i promise (laughs) i should have taken better notes the whole time no Um, i think they're great what are you talking about (laughs) so mark bachelor though then kind of intervenes in this verbal argument and that he's quoted he and he testifies in the trial too that um Oscar Pistorius said he was going to break both of his legs. Oh, and then. okay. Yeah. And I don't honestly, I don't I didn't get this part exactly right. Again, it should take a notes while I watched. Um, But she Samantha testifies that Oscar Pistorius shot a gun through the sunroof. Oh, that sounds very toxic. (laughs) Yeah, I'm pretty sure. But again, I'm not perfect and I could be getting this wrong that this happened right after that argument okay but it could have happened separately so okay. don't quote me but still either way was... shooting a gun through a sunroof like doesn't sound like boyfriend yeah. material you know and, <laughs> yeah and he denies this there's really no other witnesses that uh, that say he did this uh this is the same woman that wrote the book later that's saying um that's saying it could have been me like that's mm, the literal title right. of the book Um, and so, but then after this verbal argument, she and Oscar get back together. And then when Oscar showed up, I mentioned earlier, they showed up at these sports awards with Reva Stenkamp and she, um, she testifies that she thought they were still together when that happened, that she was supposed (laughs) to go with him to these sports awards. They got in some sort of argument. And then she turns on the TV and there's Oscar with Reva. Oh, shit. Wow. And that's a, that's a yep. bad way to find out. <laughs> yeah. She said, I mean, her testimony is that they were together when that part happened. Huh. So it's like, so just briefly, because there's like you said, this could be so many TV shows and so many. Pat- so this Mark Bachelor guy, he ain't great. One the guy that's in the underground potential. Yeah, the ex soccer okay. player. Yeah, underground yeah, dude yeah, yeah. he ends up getting assassinated in 2018 Please, i can't <laughs> i can't do this anymore <laughs> yeah. you like, these things were just glossed over and like it only that one was only in one of the two documentaries they didn't mention it in the second one and i'm like guys this seems weird this seems important my this voice seems... is going octaves higher <laughs> i feel like there's a lot of like boyfriend girlfriend drama and then on top of it like people are finding out through the TV that they're actually not in relationships anymore. And now someone's assassinated all on top of this murder trial, by the way. Yeah. And to like add the credibility is probably not the right word, but to add credibility that Mark bachelor was like, Oh, there's like, he's 
doesn't deny being like friends with this other character, Mikey Schultz. Uh, surprise, surprise <laughs> that that's the name. I know. <laughs> I, also, I, I like your, uh, you definitely you're hitting dad territory when you're like, he's fellas with this other character. <laughs> <laughs> right. But this is Schultz with a T. Okay. And yeah. I so, don't claim him. I don't claim him. But he is a self-confessed hitman. He's gone to jail for wow. being a hitman. And like his, like, and their friends certainly don't claim him. Basically, yeah, it, it doesn't sound like a oh, go figure, like a hitman and someone in the underground world were friends and one of them mysteriously gets assassinated. Yeah. No. Interesting. And, yeah. And this is it. So. So basically this timeline and this didn't actually. So like parts of this get brought up in the trial, but the actual defense doesn't bring these arguments because so Carl Oscar's brother says they discussed bringing this up at the trial, but said for various reasons they could not. This was in an interview huh. on the Amazon documentary, which Carl is featured much less on. Carl hmm. is heavily in the ESPN documentary, Interesting. Um, mostly as a sympathy type of situation. I will say from my interpretation, um, but they but also in the Am the Amazon one was also the only one that mentioned. I'll just do the whole Mark Bachelor, Mikey Short stuff now. Um, Mark Bachelor and Mikey Sh Schultz were so like Schultz is a known hitman. Bachelor is his known friend. The picture that was painted is that this argument happens at the racetrack with the billionaire Vanderberg. Okay. Oscar threatens the Mark Bachelor, the ex soccer player, that he's going right. to break both his legs. And then is that is it's after this incident that Oscar starts carrying a gun on him like all the time. Oh, so he probably knew that that guy was There's underground an, or involved to be carrying around a gun for oh, protection. He knew. He knew. Okay. Okay. And they they imply that Oscar was doing it. So, again, this didn't bring up get brought up in court. Oscar is not in these documentaries. He doesn't talk about this stuff. They bring up, though, that so like this is why Oscar was that they they play it up in the documentaries, not in the trial. But uh -huh. that Oscar was so nervous and carrying a gun on him at all times. And so, because he thought there was a theory that Vanderberg had initially hired or told Bachelor to intimidate mm, him. Gotcha. I, that makes total sense. I don't know why I didn't put that together at all yet. And then that Mark Batchelor and Mikey Schultz were like, no, we're going to kill him unless you pay us more money. Oh, shit. Okay. And Oscar knew about this. Is there is this this gets floated around in the documentaries like, you know, gotcha. in between the two. This is this is what gets floated around as to why Oscar was like extra scared of stuff. Sure. So then Oscar's friend also testifies for the prosecution um, because there was an incident that's known that Oscar sh accidentally shot a gun in a restaurant. Um, oh, he's shooting guns everywhere. What is going yeah, on? Yeah, It's not great. Look, the friend says look. that he had his gun. Oscar asked to see it. The friend who his friend was both Oscar and Reva. He's like uh -huh. better friends with Reva. Okay says that he told him there's one in the chamber. Don't quote me up, but he says there's one. Up, right. I think is the exact quote. Okay. Um, Oscar goes to, he takes out the magazine. 
He's supposed to, he's trying to get the bullet out of the chamber, accidentally pulls the trigger and a bullet goes, you know, he shoots a bullet in the restaurant. Holy shit. Okay. No one gets hurt. You know, there's, there's like photographic evidence of a bullet hole in the floor. Um, and the friend testifies that Oscar tells him, Hey, I'm under a lot of heat right now from other things, from this argument with Vanderberg. Like, yeah, just can you take, cover for like, me or something? Yeah. He said, If anyone asks, you shot the gun. And the guy, wow, that's a big at, ask. <laughs> at that time, he says, Yeah, I'll do it. I don't care. Yeah. But um, then Reva gets murdered and he doesn't do that anymore. Gotcha. gotcha. He testifies for the prosecution. Um, they also have a like a police expert who reviewed his whatsapp messages again i know it's a long time ago but i mentioned that there were two phones reva's phone oscar's phone and they go through the whatsapp messages overall there's like somewhere around 1700 messages between the two of them okay and the prosecution highlights four conversations with arguments in them not gonna quote them yeah that don't sound great. She says things like, I don't feel safe. I mean, oh, these, again, these are not quotes, but they're not the worst things ever. Okay. And they were just used as additional the, backup. Yes. Yeah. The defense like basically goes, what's the next message say? And the gotcha. next message is like, hi, angel. Um, They're not. They're really not the most incriminating evidence of all time. Okay. And it's definitely not like a burden of from my read on these documentaries, not a burden of proof type of thing. Gotcha. Um, Funny story about the phones. They did later find out that Oscar had a second phone. Oh, that's pretty fishy. (laughs) Yeah. And And what was on that? Well, we'll never know because the data was cleared by a computer whose name on the computer was Titanium Hulk. Huh, okay. AKA Oscar's brother Carl oh. deleted all the data on the phone. So Oscar's not uncle and brother were at the house before police, uh, before uh-huh. 911. And that does not, that's not a good look for Carl. No, it's not a good look for Carl. And the only doc, the Amazon documentary talks about this. Carl is minimally interviewed in that one and he's heavy in the ESPN one. Right. But. Uh, it just wasn't in court. They said it's not admissible. All this phone data was deleted, but this ultimately goes back to the police doing a shit job at the scene. Gotcha. And so, you know, prosecution basically at the end of it, they're still there. What they're trying to portray is that there's an argument. Neighbors say they heard there was arguing their gunshots and then Riva is, you know, found dead. So their conclusion is premeditated murder. Wow. So prosecution rests their case. Defense, I don't know what order all of this happened in, but the defense calls up first. They call up more neighbors because yeah. if you remember, I mentioned like the distance of yeah, the, the f- prosecution's neighbors. Right. They ignored the closest neighbors who the defense immediately call up. The they, immediate, only talk, they only talk to the people who heard a scream forever away. They talk to everyone, but they only chose to call up certain people. Gotcha. And so the defense immediately calls up the exact next door neighbors who they mention are both black and also and say that they heard 
banging, like two sets of bang, a banging, mm-hmm. and they both described male screaming. Okay. Then a second set of bangs. Okay. And then they also bring up like forensic experts that like they take Oscar's story and create like stuff so that like shows that it's plausible that his story is real. That like so like the whole thing with the original back to the bail hearing where he was yeah. on his um his prosthetics when he shot. Yeah, they they disproved that very quickly. Like it oh, was okay. It was proven that he could not have been as on his prosthetics, um, and that he's very. They showed that he is very imbalanced when he's just on his stumps because oh. one of the stumps is not as equal as the other, and oh, he has okay. to hold on to things at that point in his life to stay balanced. Gotcha. And for him to shoot a gun would require him to be holding a wall, which they they basically just proved that. Those four shots had to be fired while he was on his stumps and he couldn't have been on his prosthetics. Okay, got it. Um, But Oscar as like, but based on those other points I told earlier, that is like self-defense. He thinks that there was an intruder in his house. Yeah, again, it still sounds like a believable story this whole time. Yeah, he heard that window open. He sees the open window in the bathroom. He thinks it's an intruder. That is his defense, that this was self-defense and so, but because of self-defense trial, he has to like get on the stand. You can't right. do self-defense and not talk about yourself. Exactly. <laughs> not to yeah. talk about what you felt that night or what you experienced. And so the defense, you know, gets there first. They go first with him. And it's, you know, he tells not like an exact replica because, you know, if someone tells the exact same words, he tells a very scripted. Yeah. It doesn't sound scripted to me when I listen to it. Sound like a reasonable explanation of the events that happen. So then Jerry Nell, the prosecutor, gets up there. Whew. The first thing he asks him is if he knows what a zombie stopper is. I don't. Yeah. What is that? that? That's what Oscar says. I've never <laughs> heard the term and I don't know what it could mean. And Jerry Nell goes, you've never said it or heard that term before? And he goes, nope. I mean, these are, again, not quotes. But so then he shows a video where it is Oscar Pastore shooting a gun at a watermelon at a gun range. And he shoots it. Watermelon blows up. And he goes, yeah, that's, you know, that's something. That's a, I'd call that a zombie stopper. It's Oscar calling it that. Oh. Uh. So. I don't know, that could have been enough right there to, you know, put the seed of doubt. And, yeah. and so, but so one thing I learned about South, South African court at that time is uh, you don't have to ask to put evidence on the board or to you just show can it. do whatever you want. Oh, yeah. And Jerry wow. Nell immediately goes, so you like you that you don't know that. What about this? And he ESPN doesn't show it. Amazon does. So, you know, trigger warning. He just shows a photo of Reva's head with the gunshot <gasps> wound. Oh, you know, no. you know, it's it's graphic. Yeah, it is put on a big screen. And so part so of the thing, with, because this was on TV, Oscar is giving testimony, but he's not on camera. The judge mm-hmm. doesn't let him or many other witnesses be on camera. Right. Uh, but there's a screen where he can. And so it's just shoved in his face, Ugh. her head with this gunshot wound. 
And Jerry now is like, you know, you said that you did the same thing to that watermelon that you did to her head. Oh, shit. Very rude. Stands up is like, I don't think it's fair to equate Rifa this to a watermelon. Right, Um, right. So and then Oscar. So another part of the trial is Oscar gets very emotional a lot of the time. Um, But it's but so they actually have to adjourn court. Because he just like it's he so can't, disturbed. He can't compose himself to finish his testimony that well, day. Well, sure, yeah. And Oscar ends up on uh, in the witness stand for like five days, um, and so, and that's actually the second time they adjourned it. The first time when he first got on the stand, he apologized to Reva's family, and you know became too emotional, and they had to adjourn it at that time. Um. So, but that was like Jerry Nell talks about how that was like his strategy to like. He wants to like get him uncomfortable yeah. to like really like, see if his story is the truth. That's a, a very um hmm bold but good tactic, I think. I think that yeah. was, like it got a little extreme there with the picture. But it, yeah, like rattle them I up mean, and the see if they can in the keep up the story. Room. He does say that yeah, he I actually he told the he told the family beforehand that he was going to do it. Um Oh God! It, but uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a lot for sure. I think and it's it, a good. I think it is a good tactic to like get someone kind of like flustered just to see if their story remains consistent. But that holy crap, that's a very yeah. graphic way to do it. And this is so like we're heavy in like the legal, you know, like legal assessment aspect or legal theory. I don't know, not theory, but like we're in it, you know. So yeah. this is like, and this is him on trial at this point, and so. Oscar doesn't do a great job on the stand after that. Um, At one point, Jerry Nell is asking him, so you say you shot the gun. And so his defense again is self-defense. And he, and he says, do you know what it means to accidentally shoot a gun? And Oscar gives like this answer. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, did you pull the trigger? And what was your intention and Oscar just kind of keep he it's not good. He keeps bouncing yeah. back and forth. He basically destroys his self-defense, um, you know, tactic, not a tactics, not the right word, but his self-defense defense of what happened because he he basically describes pulling the trigger, knowing that what he was it, doing. Like he, yeah. he didn't accidentally hit the trigger and he admits right. to that. he was intentionally Killing he thought, who he thought was he, an intruder. Yes. He says that he thought yeah. he's convinced it's an but like um and that comes back to bite him because now he has two defenses. One is that it was self-defense and that you know he thought it was an intruder, and the other hand is that he accidentally shot the gun. But he and he's okay. telling he ends up telling both with this hmm. like pro like with this cross-examination. And so it really it doesn't end up looking good on him. Also, they bring up the restaurant incident where he shot the gun. And so Jerry Nell's like, so who shot the gun at the restaurant? And Oscar, Oscar just says, I don't know. And he's like, what do you mean you don't know? Like, he's like, so how like did you, the trigger? He's like, how does a gun get shot? And yeah, and Oscar it doesn't, it doesn't look good. It does not look good that he's also like kind of like evading answering the question. Yes. When he knows and he, the truth. There is. He has a he says during his testimony um, of course, I'm thinking about what I'm saying. This is my life on the line. Yeah, which which I don't blame him. 
it's the truth, but it's not a good truth. You know, especially like when everyone is scenario. there to when everyone's there to pick apart every word you're going to say, you want to be careful with every single word. Yeah. So. And Barry ruined the ESPN documentary uh, calls his testimony about the accidental discharge, like where he says not not the restaurant where he's talking about if he pulled the trigger or not in the house. Um, he just says, I would like to call that unfortunate and don't want to say anything else about it. Like as a defense attorney, he knows it's bad. So mm-hmm. it's not good. And so, but at the same time with the, with all the people, the defense bring up and things like they establish a pretty clear timeline that the gunshots happened around three twelve in the morning. The screaming that is heard, they pretty convincingly say it was Oscar screaming. Hmm. These neighbors who are further away, who thought it was a female screaming, you know, the direct neighbors say it was a male and it's all the, the neighbors who had even contradicting things. It was like impossible because they're the phone call or at the banging that they heard was closer to three seventeen in the morning, which is when Oscar reports hitting the door with the cricket bat. Okay. And ultimately the judge agrees with the defense's timeline of things. Um, there's like a, I mean, I can't, describe i mean this was you know months of trial there's so much more stuff that went on but the judge in her decision talks about how she agrees with the defense's uh timeline of events that at around 3 12 in the morning gunshots were fired screaming was heard in between 3 12 and 3 17 and that it's impossible because so at the same so with the gunshots there were mortal wounds okay You can't hear two sets of bangs and like this and her screaming in between Mm. because one of those bullets went through her head. There's no way she could have been screaming. Right. Right. So. Wow. Holy shit. So, yeah, the defense rested their case on July 8th, closing arguments on August 7th and 8th. And then on September 12th, 2014, the judge finds Oscar guilty of culpable homicide, which culpable homicide. In the U.S. is equivalent to manslaughter. Okay, got it. And her, she she reads her whole reason because again, it's a no jury, so she has to explain everything. Right. And so she, these are not quotes, but she notes that while he's not, he was not a good witness and did not help his case by getting on the stand. Right. Um, that the prosecutors did not prove beyond a reasonable doubt that his actions were premeditated. And that she agreed with the timeline of the defense more than the timeline the prosecutors were trying to put forward. Gotcha. Um, and he's sentenced to five years in prison. And five years. Os- yeah. And he becomes okay. emotional during it. But he had also mentioned multiple times that his goal was to be deemed not a murderer. Right. So this is deemed kind of a win. Because he never denied that he shot the gun right but it wasn't intentional there's questionable parts of that but he took blame for shooting the gun but he didn't want to be considered a murderer right that this was intentional there was some like argument and that's why he shot her but in but there, like basically people were not happy with it there was the people who thought he was he was guilty of murder there was also the African National 
uh, women Congress who were like they're they defend a lot of domestic violence or like support a lot of cases of domestic violence. It gets pretty controversial in the documentary, so I don't want to go too hard on it. Sure. But um, people weren't super thrilled. Um, and so he, the, the prosecutors did appeal to the Supreme Court of Appeal in South Africa. And they started it in November 2014. And then it was November 3rd of 2015 that they overruled the conviction wow. under the legal uh, precedent of Dulles Eventualis. Huh. And that is basically in layman's terms is whether an accused did not actually foresee the outcome of their actions oh. rather than whether they should have. Gotcha. Okay. So the judge states pretty clearly after like the Supreme court judge says that like, by shooting at a locked door without knowing who's behind it, mm-hmm. without doing other things to try and prevent shooting at the door, that mm. he would have known by shooting he was going to kill someone. Right. And he's guilty of murder because of that, regardless okay. of who was regardless of who he thought was behind the door. He had the intent to kill, just not. Yeah. Just a different person. Yeah. If it was an intruder, he still would have been guilty of murder is what they were saying. Oh, okay. And okay. so the the case actually has to go back to the same judge, Judge mm. Mississippia, uh, for resentencing. And in July 2016, she sentenced him to six years in prison rather okay. than the five years he got for the culpable homicide. Sure. Which is a little weird because they mentioned multiple times that the minimum sentence was 15. I feel like she probably um, empathized with him or something. Yeah, there was definitely. And it was con- like people were not nice to her after that first ruling because they were yeah. like they thought that this was this trial was sort of like it, it was there was definitely a layer of like. So Oscar Pistorius is white uh, that like he had white privilege and getting this sentence oh, of okay. culpable homicide. And then when he got this second resentencing that was less than the minimum, people were really not happy. Um, gotcha. That small tracks. note on that. Mark Batchelor and Mikey Schultz, they just can't stay out of this. They <laughs> came to that resentencing mm-hmm. and it sat next to the Pistorius family and caused the scene um, to the point like, where like they threatened the family. They threatened his sister. Ew. Like just um, to like rile up the rest of the crowd or something? Or? It's it's hard to know. Like there's not like microphones on it. But it, when you watch the video, these guys, they're douchebags. So they probably did something douchey and like honestly could have threatened them. And they got like restraining orders against them. Um, and then it's two years later that Mark Batchelor gets assassinated. Um, I don't know what happened to Mikey Schultz, but... Just a small like this is like so much drama around everything that happens. And it this. feels like it, there can't ever just be one storyline. <laughs> and yeah, this is no. just like there's always something extra wild going on on yeah. the side. Yeah. And then like, yeah, I mean, it even goes back to like to his parents and his mother. Like people were like, oh, you know, he's hyper vigilant because his mom was always scared of this stuff. And it's like, yeah, but what's where's the line drawn? So, yeah. And not all of this even came out in court. Not all of it even could come out in court. I mean, it's sketchy that yeah. his brother deleted messages on one of his phones. Like one of the one Very of the sketchy. Yeah. One of the extra court, like one of the outside of court theories is that 
he was texting an ex-girlfriend and that led to an argument and then he shot Riva. Mm. And it's like, okay, but like, we'll never, you can't prove that. Yeah. And it's you extra can't, but it's, it's worse when you can't prove it because not because, but like it becomes, it gets a little bit more credibility when his brother deletes the messages from a phone. Yeah. Also, he's now dating that ex-girlfriend. So from prison. (laughs) I know. So much. Okay. Well, maybe not currently. The last thing I read somewhere was that that was happening at that future date from the trial. Oh, my God. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, But so then in November of 2017, the Supreme Court of Appeals increased his jail sentence to 15 years. Oh, Uh, wow. Okay. Did they have more, more evidence or something? No, they just they can take the the evidence that was there. Same way they changed his conviction from culpable homicide to murder. They could change a sentence if they think the the lower court judge got wow. it wrong. Wow. That's uh, I mean maybe that's not the right legalese, but that's that's how it, I. So when does he it. get out? Then he was sentenced he's, in. He's eligible for parole in twenty twenty three. Wow. And how old would he do you know how old he would be now? No, that's a good question. Young still, though. He was only 29 when this all happened. Oh, Um, wow. Okay, so he's like not even 40 yet. Yeah. So he's still a young guy. Um, And, you know, this like took over South African media, took over international media for, you know, for quite a bit of time. Um, They basically so it's called South African TV. But it, this was produced by Lifetime Movies, hmm. uh, produced a movie that was. Re- so, again, it was in 2017 that the Supreme Court changed his sentence to 15 years in that same month on November 18th. Um, South African TV aired Oscar Pistorius Blade Runner Killer, a basically Whoa. what I can only assume from looking at it. And I didn't even watch the trailer is like a Lifetime movie version of this. Yeah, that's uh, the that tracks <laughs> with a name they, like that. They did not get consent from either family of Pistorius or Stenkamp. Oh. Um, and Pistorius's family actually tried to like threaten legal action. Sure, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so this story is like not as clear cut as I thought it was going to be. I thought I was going to get to come out and like tell like a, you know, a fall from grace sports story. With like a clear cut <laughs> bad guy aspect. But I mean, so he and he even admits like his, this is his testimony is that he shot her. Yeah. It's just, he just all mean to shoot and her. That, yeah. And that was known from the get go from yeah. and, and it was never denied. So the whole trial just rested on intent, which whoever knows the complete truth of anything, especially things like this. Um, but that's part of the reason why it became such a, a sensation at least is everyone thought they either knew or they, they, they really believed what they thought. And then it just was, you know, it was up to a judge to decide what was going on. Whoa. And just like, all, you know, Hilton Botha and his weird shit. Yeah. And I feel like it's like Hitman Degrassi. On the side. <laughs> yeah. Every, like every character everywhere. Like every character has got their own drama. Yeah. And like, this is just me. This is not even getting to everything that was in the documentaries. I'm sure there was more in the court and other things, but yeah, I hope it was entertaining for you and for fans. Uh, yeah. All stemming from you guys not knowing who 
Oscar Pistorius was. <laughs> it was because I asked one question a few weeks ago. <laughs> so maybe me asking a question at some point in this will stem like a future story in another month or two. So I can only hope. So I apologize it went long, but I hope That's it was okay. enjoyable. We will we'll fig- we'll figure out a way to trim it down. But I, I think it, it's a pretty solid story. It's really good. I had no idea when I especially I asked that one question of like, oh, was I didn't even know what kind of killer he was, let alone like this whole drama and then the whole uh, Olympic drama before this. Yeah, like, you oh were right. God. I mean, honestly, I really felt like that's what I was nervous. I was like, Christine, this is I have five pages of notes. How long should this take? She goes, 45 minutes. I'm like, I don't know. Because <laughs> I got like, because it's like it really is multi-parter. Like I headlined his early life. His athletic career by itself is like. It's own story. Some, a controversial might be the wrong word, but it's like there's like stuff that, like you said. It, it, it again. I'm gonna go back to it one more time. Like it does play into things like like you know trans like there's arguments about this now. Like this stuff happens in sports now with transgender athletes, even you know f- uh, people who identify as female playing traditionally male sports like football and wrestling. Yeah. Like you know there there are stories. Every year of wrestlers who refuse to wrestle someone who identifies as a woman or a female. And it's like, why? Like, you afraid you're going to lose, bro? Like, if that's it, like, just quit. But it's just at certain points, it's just like, you know, it's hard because there definitely are things that are cheating, like using steroids. In the trans world, I've I've also heard the argument of like, if you're uh, if you're afraid of uh people who identify as female playing in sports and having the advantage advantage over cisgender females then uh or cisgender women sorry uh if they identify as a woman but they have more testosterone naturally you could argue like well yeah like a lot of athletes out there are famous because they've got some like weird freaky anomaly in their body that has caused them like michael phelps having like a wide ass wingspan is the re- like. Yeah. So should he have been kicked out of swimming? Like, there's there's always arguments about. No, like that. it's so. I mean, I mean, of course, it's a horrible argument now because he did cheat. Uh, maybe <laughs> I, maybe I should check on this before I say that. But like Lance Armstrong <laughs> was known for having like superhuman aerobic like activity levels. Like he could just hold his breath for a long time and ride a bike. But you know, he also did a lot of you know probably cheating i don't know it for a fact but it was you know so it but it, it just like where do you draw the line and yeah. i guess sometimes just i guess my only takeaway would be maybe try the face value version first because in in oscar pastorius's case in terms of whether he should be able to compete in the olympics versus the paralympics the face value argument is he should have been able to compete in the olympics Without the argument question. is, is he fast enough and can he hold yeah. his own? And if the answer is yes, then I don't know what the problem is. But then yeah. again, we are, I'm not like, if you're an Olympian and have an opinion on this, let me know. But I, until further notice, I think that's yeah. a pretty fair argument. And also for Christine to say that only five pages takes 45 minutes. It all depends on the type of, like my notes are always only one page and takes an <laughs> hour. So like it's. It's always all over the place, so no worries. Oh, yeah. Let's blame Christine for all of this. Okay. Let's just do that. Well, <laughs> Title uh, of the episode. Christine well, takes all the blame. 
<laughs> well, when I uh, when we come back next week, she will officially be back from maternity leave. So she will probably have heard this. You're and welcome, find out that everyone. We're blaming her. So thank you uh, to you. And also thank you to everyone who was willing to come on and take time out of their day to do research and take time out of their day to record with me. And I'm sure I don't need to tell you this, but to anyone else who also guested, Christine and I both appreciate you very much. And uh, thank you very for being much. our final guest. I, it's, I'm sure everyone's been wanting to know. hear from I'll you. take it. Hey! <laughs> I was like, oh, there's a there's a costume change with like two seconds to go. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. And uh, again, congratulations on your little baby. And oh, if you do have you. a second one, uh, we might ask you to come back on for, for the next uh, bout of maternity leave. So Sounds good to me. All right. Since you seem to know the show pretty well, I guess you know how this ends, right? All right. And, and that's oh, <laughs> why a breaking kit. We <laughs> drink. <laughs> Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost.